Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where good taste and bad taste collide. No gossip this week, just straight up. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. <laughs> I am a film critic. Uh, I do this for a living and for you. And with me, as always, is my scintillating, toweringly intelligent co-host... Introduce yourself, Mr. William Bibiani. Oh, it's me. Yeah. Hey, everybody. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic, and everybody calls me Bibbs. And this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing a bunch of movies, because that's what we do. We're reviewing uh, the new Netflix superhero movie Project Power, the new Russian horror movie Sputnik, the new something or other, The Bay of Silence, which I did not see, so Whitney will have to tell us what the hell that is, uh, and the new teen... Ghost knockoff, knock off. Yeah. yeah, that's all you can call it. Uh, endless, and uh, because uh, every week on Critically Acclaimed during the pandemic, we are taking opportunity to explore films that are on streaming that are not new, films that one or both of us have never seen before. Some of them are quite famous. Uh, we're looking at live action movies on Disney Plus, and the winner of our Patreon poll over at Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Cool Runnings, which somehow Whitney didn't see. I mean, somehow I just didn't see it. It was a hit. People, everyone knew that movie when it came out. The soundtrack was a hit. The oh, film yeah. was a hit. It was a relatively. It was about an Oscar. Oh, Oscars. It's about an Olympic event that was like. <laughs> it was about a, a moment at the Olympics that so was still real, fresh in everyone's yeah. head when it came out. Yeah, it was about a Jamaican bobsled team. Yeah. And uh, it's based on a true story, but the movie is com- almost completely fictional. Yeah, they took the idea of it and a few of the key bullet points and they changed everything else. Yeah. Which is true for a lot of movies. Look up what actually happened in Argo. <laughs> yeah. Like the yeah. whole thing, if you ever saw Argo and the whole thing, it's like, oh, we have to come up with this fake movie just in case they test us on whether or not the movie is real. And then we're going to go and we're going to get those hostages. And oh no, we have to prove that we're really filmmakers over and over and over again. And guess what? They never had to prove it. Not they once. grabbed them, they took them to the airport, and then they left. <laughs> they had to add all the suspense. All of the suspense is fictional. <laughs> I love that. It's good writing. Don't get me wrong. I just think that's hilarious. When I watch the documentary about the actual event of the film, I'm like, wait a minute. All of this stuff in the movie that actually made all the prep in the movie, like, seem really suspenseful and worth it. That's the stuff they had to make up. Hilarious. Uh, Well, and, you know, it it gives the the people who are voting for the Academy Awards pretend like movies can uh, do something really kind of thrilling in a thriller spy scenario. Oh, it's a good movie. Uh, I like that movie. It's just not amazing. What I'm wondering is, how come, do you think anybody's ever pitched Argo, the movie from within Argo, the fake movie? I don't understand why no one's Has anybody tried to make that into a movie, like in the modern day with modern special effects? I would totally, dude, if I were like Asylum or something, I would Mm -hmm. be like, dude, let's get that script. How's no one got Argo, let's just go yeah. like, like whatever we'll make it we'll make it like the way they would have made it at the time we'll make it cheaper than mm. we would now with like big visual effects or whatever we'll just make that movie let's do it <laughs> make it like as as expensive as Battle of for the Plan- Battle of the Planets no Battle Beyond the Stars <laughs> is that the right movie yeah Battle Beyond the Stars we'll make it, we'll make it like Battle Beyond the Battle Stars Beyond it's the kind stars, of yeah. money but not really yeah uh, but anyway uh, we can just jump right in this week so that's mm. nice. After we spoil Argo, it's like seven years old, okay? It won Best Picture. If, it's, if you, and it's based on a true story. You, I don't feel too guilty about this I, one. I, I don't think that's one you can spoil, yeah. necessarily. Sorry. Uh, but uh, anyway, let's move on to our new releases. I think the big release this week is Project Power, mm-hmm. uh, in part because it's got a big cast. It's got Jamie Foxx, it's got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and it's a superhero story. And we were it's, supposed to get a lot of blockbuster movies this year, like mm-hmm. every year. 
and we didn't because the, they shut down the theaters. And so this one actually feels like it's like it, it kind of scratches that itch a little bit. Like that's well, what it's we, going for. I feel like that that was uh, Netflix's uh, rise on debt for a second there. Mm. Uh, even before the pandemic, they would occasionally. What was the uh, the du- Duncan Jones film? Mute. Mute. I didn't see that one. That was like this huge budget science fiction thing. Not a very good movie. Kind of forgettable. Yeah. But uh, yeah. They, they tried with Bright. They tried to yeah, have Yeah, exactly. Big, they're they're know, trying, to, trying to do a lot of these, these effects-based, quote, blockbusters just on Netflix instead. And they're, they cost as much as a, a theatrical release. They often look very impressive. They get you know attract a good pedigree. But they're just on Netflix. Hmm? That, that was what they were what they were doing. It's like, we got the same stuff over here. It's just at home now. Yeah. And so they've been doing this from time to time. They did the, that Chris Hemsworth movie where he just killed a bunch of dudes. It's extraction. Extraction. Yeah. 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 The brains on van, the movie. Uh, then they did the old guard just last month. That was pretty good. That was a huge, evidently according to numbers that Netflix released and who knows if these are trustworthy at all. Yeah. Uh, that attracted, I think like 99 million viewers. Yeah. If you translate that to the average price of a movie ticket, that would have been one of like the fifty most financially successful movies of all time. Which is probably not the box office it would have done in theaters. No, no, but no. when you've got like, okay, we can't go to the theaters, and here's a new action movie starring Charlize Theron. Uh, dude, I'm clicking on that. Who wouldn't click on that? That yeah, sounds cool. I, yeah, I, I have two hours. Yeah, but it did attract that many eyeballs though. So that, no, no, that's listen, the point. And I, and and it's uh, an okay movie. Mm-hmm. I, you know, some people liked it more than I did, but it certainly mm-hmm. was worth watching. I, so I, yeah, and again, it's another one that scratched the edge. I, I like that one, and now they have Project Power. This is the new Netflix super blockbuster that will ga- capture everybody's attention for about a week. Yeah, uh, that, that's the the weird thing about these giant quote bigger. Netflix releases is that they do command a lot of attention for a little bit. Yeah. When was the last time you heard anybody talk about Bird Box? Yeah. It was big for it a was, week or two. Big, and then big it was for, yeah, a few weeks there was the Bird Box challenge and now nobody well, refers to the characters that movie ever. It's weird actually because um, Netflix is the production company and the distributor. And you might recall last week we were just talking about vertical integration and mm-hmm. Netflix is, is doing that right now. Um, so usually in theaters... A studio doesn't put out a movie every single week. Like, there isn't a new mm. Warner Brothers movie at the box office every single week. Or if they do, they vary it up. And there's, like, a rom-com after an action movie or so on. So they're not, like, cannibalizing their own audience. Netflix doesn't seem to care about that. Mm. Netflix is putting out new original movies, some of which they produce themselves, some of which they have acquired from independents or international markets. Uh, and they're putting out new stuff every single week. And because... Uh, novelty is so important to Netflix. They need to constantly keep your attention because just having a library of old movies doesn't do it for them anymore. They Mm. need to bring new eyes and constantly trend in order to keep staying relevant in an increasingly crowded streaming marketplace. Um, Keeping one movie in the conversation for a long time, which is really important if you're trying to get people to buy tickets to it weekend after weekend, doesn't matter to Netflix. Mm. It's in their best interests to keep to you excited about the next thing that's coming out in a couple of days, which I don't I'm not going to fight. It's a, it's working for them. But at the same time, it's changing the way that we respond to movies, well, that we interact with movies, that we think about movies. It's, it's changing making... how we value movies. Yes. Yeah. Uh, movies are only as valuable as they are, as long as they're popular. Yeah. And because they're only meant to be popular for a week max millions and millions of people are watching these movies and then 
deliberately sort of scrubbing them from their brains. That's uh, not necessarily true. They do have some films that have traction well, like, over time. Like, like Roma, for instance, yeah. or The Irishman, yeah. like their prestige pictures. And indeed, some of the smaller films end up uh, uh, really finding uh, attraction. The Kissing Booth was a big deal, and that got like a... Uh, all, oh, yeah. To all the boys I loved before, these mm. movies were popular enough to get sequels. That's true. Um, and, and what's interesting is that, you know, the, for movies like Project Power, which is a big superhero action movie, and don't worry, we'll talk about it, but we're yeah, we, so we, fascinated we, with we the got to con- put, put this in context. The context is really interesting. Um for movies like Project Power, this is probably doing the film and the filmmakers mm. a mild disservice because it's such a big mm. effort. It's such a big movie. And yeah, it's not Avengers Endgame in scale, but it's bigger than the typical Netflix film. Uh, that this probably would have had a few more eyes on it, um, or at least maybe made more money in theaters. Mm. But for a movie like To All the Boys I Loved Before, to a movie like Bird Box or The Kissing Booth... One week of being the movie everyone is talking about is probably more publicity than they would get in theaters. Yeah. In theaters, they would be seen as maybe the third biggest release of any given week. They get a few token reviews from major publications, a couple of interviews on talk shows, do okay, and then they would be completely gone and no one would care about them. Because they're on Netflix, a lot of these movies are able to reach a really huge audience of people who will talk about it and will appreciate it. That's a good thing, especially for the smaller films. So it's it's it's, it's not it's not just it's not binary. It's not just good or well, bad. There's good and it's bad. It's not good. It, it, it again the good the good of course yes is that smaller films are getting more eyes and uh, they're spending less money and putting less resources into getting films that otherwise would be ignored mm-hmm. in front of more people. I agree. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that they're training audiences in a negative way, and I think training audiences to see all films as uh, kind of disposable mm-hmm. is uh, maybe a bad habit to teach people. Well, I, th- I think that's and what I streaming think... is teaching us because yeah. like we pay like what do we pay for Netflix? Was it like 13 bucks a month? 16 bucks a month? It's like 12, it's less than 20 12, bucks 13, a month. Yeah. I, I haven't looked at my subscription like number in a bit yeah. but it's less than 20 bucks a month. For for that much money, you get access to all of these movies. As opposed to, I want to see a new movie this weekend, I'm going to pay whatever a movie theater ticket price is. Mm. Which is, each movie, each individual movie, used to have this specific monetary value. I will pay this much to see a movie in theaters. Yeah. I will pay this much to rent a movie from a physical media store. Uh, at On any streaming service, you're paying a flat rate. Mm-hmm. Netflix has individual rentals, which is kind of the same thing, but even that's way way less. Um, and as a result, each movie at a lot of these mm-hmm. streaming services are, are, is worth a fraction of a penny. And oh, that's your financial investment to have access to that movie. Yeah, it's because, a fraction of a penny because a lot of people are paying for these things, you know, on a monthly basis. They don't really see the film as itself having an individual value. Yeah, you're getting ac- your access to a yeah. catalog is what has value. The and individual indeed, when, films uh, are losing their value. When Disney released, okay, we're finally we give up. We're going to put Mulan on our streaming service. Yeah, and uh, we're going to charge thirty bucks, and it's deliberately a little too high, so it stands apart from the other films. Released in the same fashion, which also is typically the, also 20 the movie costs a fortune, so they yeah, want to so try to make some money exactly. back off it. I get it. And, I get uh, it. and, and, and says, if you wait two months, that will be just free on the service. So wait two months, it'll bad. be free on the service, and uh, if you rent it, it'll be yours forever on the service, no matter what. You just get yeah. to keep it uh, so long as you're subscribed. Yeah. Um, but uh, that has like a very specific value. Yeah. 
Uh, it has th- it's a thirty dollar value. Yeah, and that's more than a, that's more than all a the, ticket. But yeah, everything it, on everything on inter- Netflix underneath like the banner of a subscription is seen as being just a free movie. It's yeah. just free. You get it free with a subscription. I, I actually I'm fascinated by the premium fee for for Mulan. Just mm-hmm. to talk about that for a second, because there are two schools of thought on Mulan is going to cost thirty dollars. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, younger people, mostly single people, I find, who say to themselves, "Well, that's like." Anywhere from fifteen to twenty dollars more than I would have paid for a movie ticket. Yeah, I'm not paying for that. That sucks. And then there's every parent in the world going, "That's saving me like sixty bucks." Yeah, if, if, especially if you have multiple kids at yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, going to the movies can be really expensive if you if you're a couple, if you have kids, especially multiple kids. You have to pay for parking, got to pay for snacks. It's a big, big financial investment to go see a family film with a family. So 30 bucks is actually a really good deal for them. What what I wonder though is will that scheme work for non-family films? Yeah, like, like the, would, the big the big thing that broke all of this open was Trolls World Tour. Yeah, a family uh, film. That's, that's one, one Scoob of, did the, sorry, Scoob did the same thing. <laughs> I I think uh we're going to look back at this year and see Trolls World to World Tours like the game changer. Uh, potentially. Uh because it, it in 3 weeks of being on a streaming market made 100 million dollars and no mm. film had ever done that before. And it would have made more in theaters no doubt, but mm. that's pretty damn good. That's well, 100 million dollars without seeing a th- any theatrical screens yeah. just proved that it could be done. It was proof of concept. True. It's the phantom menace of new theatrical Pro- distribution. The problem is like a lot of the movies that are currently like in the can at studios cost so much that making a hundred million doesn't sound good. Uh, yeah. Well, like James has, Bond has needs to make a billion yeah. dollars in order to really be worth the amount of time and effort and money yeah, that they spent so. on it. So that, if that ever comes out on in straight with, to like, streaming, yeah, which sure. I doubt, but if yeah, that ever comes out streaming, it's going to be a premium. Furious Nine, Tenet, mm-hmm. uh, and Black Widow. Like, those things need to make huge amounts of they money. Do. They do. They cost they, so much. They spend so much. But in any case, back to Project Power. We like context, yeah. but back to Project Power. Project Power is a new superhero movie uh, directed by Ariel Schulman and Henry Joost. Uh, the, the dudes who did Catfish. Yeah, they're probably best known for doing Catfish, which was uh, you know a documentary uh, a and it's so interesting. It's one of those documentaries that it's like so perfectly constructed that everyone believed it was fake, but they insist that it was real. And it was about uh, how uh, one of those directors formed a relationship with somebody online only to find out that the person that they were talking to was lying about everything in their lives. They yeah. were being, you know, the, the phrase to be catfished comes from that movie. Comes yeah. from that movie. They went on to have a kind of an interesting directorial career outside of uh, documentaries. They directed Paranormal Activity 3, which is the other good one. Uh, it, it, and it's the one I haven't seen. Oh, it's really quite good. Yeah, mm. it's like Paranormal Activity 1, I think, is a horror classic. Paranormal Activity 2, better than you'd think, despite being mm. repetitive. Paranormal Activity 3 takes it like back to the 80s, so they're using like VHS technology, and they come up with a lot of fun gags for mm. it. And seeing how inventive they could be with a low-budget horror movie within the found footage genre, which has a lot of limitations on it, actually made me kind of interested to see what they could do with a bigger budget because they might not be complacent and just do the same thing we've seen over and over again. And I will say this for Project Power, this is a different kind of storytelling style than we've seen from most superhero movies. Well, they, they, and I'm really kind of fascinated by it, and I really liked it a lot, actually. The, these filmmakers also did a movie called Nerve. Which I which, missed. Which I didn't see. But, uh, clear, I, heard, clear, I, heard, clear, I heard it was better than advertised. They've worked yeah. with like a, a slicker production and bigger budgets before, but this is like their biggest budget yet. Yeah, it's $85 million. And, uh, and it has a really great comic book conceit. Uh, people are calling it a superhero movie. It's not. 
it's a it's super kind, it's a super power movie yeah it's more if, if you're gonna call it anything it's a super villain movie um, Kinda, yeah it takes place uh, in a world where in a world <laughs> where uh somebody has developed a pill that gives you superpowers for five minutes uh, and it's a random superpower. You don't know what you're going to get. But every time but you, every take, time you pill- take it, you get that same power. Yeah. So, so if, you, if you, you, might can, be, you might become super strong. You might be super invulnerable. You right. might like catch on fire and right. become the human torch. You might also just explode, which happens yeah. in a small number of cases. Uh, but it happens enough that people are genuinely concerned about it. But this pill, uh, very much like a uh, nuke in RoboCop 2, <laughs> is treated as like the hot new drug on the street rather than a tool with which people are using to, like, fight crime. Yeah. There is a cop who, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is secretly on it, who takes pills, and he gets he becomes bulletproof for, very briefly. Yeah, and he's taking the pill, mm-hmm. at least so he says. I mean, I think he's also getting off on the power mm-hmm. of it, but a lot of the people that they're trying to catch now have superpowers. Yeah, because... Maybe the, I should the people, the people, yeah, the, Because most people are taking this drug and, like, robbing banks and stuff. There's a, a sequence early on of... Where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is chasing a, a bank thief who has like chameleonic powers. Yeah, so he's running around naked through the streets, but everything he runs in front of, he like looks like that thing, mm. which is you would think would look kind of wonky, but I actually really like the way that they pulled it off. It looks, yeah, it has that I, weird shimmering effect. Do you ever see a, a Scanner Darkly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they have those suits that make them look like several people simultaneously, and it's constantly shifting. It's this really cool looking effect. Yeah, it, it looks kind of like that. I actually love the way that. Uh, Project Power treats superpowers in general. I think there's so many superhero movies now, and I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is particularly responsible for this. It's not the worst thing in the world, but I do think it's pervasive. Um, that it's kind of normalizing being a superhero or having superpowers. Mm. So yeah, I have superpowers, and I'm hanging out and eating pizza. What the hell? When you watch Project Power all of the powers are presented as though they are unnatural and often very frightening. Yeah. The sequence where the uh, Jamie Foxx, who plays a guy who is investigating a conspiracy around what's behind all these drugs. Mm -hmm. um, He runs into a guy and the guy pops one of the power pills and he catches on fire and starts running down the hallways in like a really rundown apartment Mm -hmm. complex and everything's starting to catch fire around him. It's genuinely frightening. You know why? Because it would be. Well, and and they they zoom in on his body and when we see a drawing of the human torch, either they just sort of have him be like a naked red guy with yellow flames around him. That's the way they drew him for many, many years. Uh, Or in the movies, they kind of make him glow. Like he's this sort of Mm. godlike Adonis with fire all around him. Yeah. Uh, At least in the Josh Trank uh, Fantastic Four movie, they have the human torch on a a table and his body is just on fire and he's unconscious. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like a burning corpse. That part was like scary for a minute. There's there's a body horror element to that movie Mm. that is cool for a couple of shots. It's cool for a couple of shots. The the movie doesn't explore it. It's just cool for those couple of shots. It, it, It starts like four different interesting movies and doesn't follow through on any of them. Uh, so, yeah, in the, in Project Power, we see a close-up of this guy, and he's on fire, and his body is burning off. Like, chunks yeah. of him seem to be... Fa- like, they're gr- growing back, but then falling off again. Yeah, like, he's really actually disturbing. burning away. And, yeah, it looks really monstrous. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that... There's this incredible sequence, which I won't ruin for, but there's an incredible sequence around someone who we find out has uh, ice powers. Yeah. And there's this one shot where there's an action sequence happening all around this person with ice powers that is legitimately terrifying and tragic and cool all mm. at the same time. That's hard to pull off. And I really admire that. The plot of the movie is is kind of simple, but uh, again, it's New Orleans. Mm. 
there are these new superpower drugs are running through the streets. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a cop who's taking these drugs in order to fight the bad guys. Uh, there's uh, uh, a drug dealer who's actually selling the drug. It's called Power to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but they're cool. Uh, she's played by Dominique Fishback, an actor who I was not familiar with before, mm, and is really good. She's uh, she plays a teen. She's 29, but she's playing a teenager in this movie. She's much convincingly. Yeah, uh, and then there's Jamie Foxx, who is coming into town basically to fuck shit up. And it turns out we learn very very quickly that he's searching for his daughter, who may be tied into the conspiracy of why this mm. pill has suddenly become so prevalent. Mm. And then they all sort of investigate yeah. the mystery together. It's it's really well written. It's really mm-hmm. slickly put together. I loved the character work in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a and eventually, uh, the Jamie Fox character and the Dominique Fishback character end up like going on the lamb together, and they yeah. end up having to relate in a certain way. Their scenes together are great. Uh, there's yeah. a wonderful scene where Jamie Fox is injured. She has to patch him up at a vet. <laughs> I've seen that scene in the a couple whole, movies before, but that's unusually yeah. well done here. Yeah. And, and the way the way they bond and how clever she is uh, responding to his requests mm. turns out she's also an aspiring rapper and she's actually a very good rapper. Yeah, uh, it just really adds so much texture and character and and personality to this movie. It's it's so often you see in movies where a character is supposed to be really really good at something and then when they actually do it, mm. they're not that great because in reality it's hard to be good at things. Or um, you know you see this a lot of times in movies where someone's supposed to be a really great inventor, but if you could come up with a really great invention, you would have done that instead of write a movie. <laughs> right. So the invention sucks. We're just supposed to take it on faith. So when we see her actually rapping when she's supposed to be really good at it and you realize, oh shit, she is actually really fucking good. Like it's kind of refreshing. Like the movie is putting its money where its mouth is. Mm-hmm. And it's doing that throughout the board. The action sequences are, you know, on a, generally on a smaller scale than we're often used to with the major superhero movie. Which I'm like, fine with. I'm totally we, fine we, with. We don't need to see... It, Planes crashing into yeah. one another. We can just have a, a fight in a room, what, and if it's well shot, well choreographed, what matters? Good. What matters is we care about the characters. We get the sense that they're threatened, and because the superpowers are portrayed mm-hmm. so monstrously, it feels like it's threatening. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel like anyone's blasé about this. Uh, and the characters are very sharply written. They don't. Um, they don't fit into conventional cliches. They talk about things mm-hmm. that other superhero movies would just sort of let go as part of the genre. It's incredibly well photographed. I love the way this movie was shot. I was really surprised, and pleasantly so, by not... I mean, yeah, I wasn't suspecting I would dislike it. I try not to do that at all. But I really liked it. Like, this is a really (laughs) fun, exciting, energetic action movie. And my only complaint is that, like a lot of action movies, it kind of just devolves into action towards the end and probably could have ended five, ten minutes earlier. But I'm okay with that. It's really good. Uh, what I appreciate about this is uh, is that approach to superpowers. How in, in depicting them as monstrous, it's addressing something that I think we don't acknowledge in most other superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're okay with most superheroes having superpowers because we assume they're going to do the right thing. We know yeah. they're good guys, they and they're always going to be good guys. Okay, maybe they have this moment of moral gray, but they never just turn into criminals like Tony Stark. Well, I have this suit. I'll just rob a bank. Why not? Yeah. If you usually, usually it's rigidly codified. You're either a bad guy or a good guy who would never do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I'm I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm going to murder you and I'm not going to feel bad about it because I'm Iron Man. I'm just going to do it openly. Why why would you do that? Iron Man? Why wouldn't I? I can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are you going to do to stop me? 
Uh, and there are there are a lot and, of superhero comics that have dealt with that, but in movies uh, it's pretty yeah, rare. Yeah. Well, in comics it's rare too because all of the yeah. mainstream comics are dealing with that absolutism, heroes and yeah. villains. Uh, in uh, in showing the superpowers as monstrous, I think it's acknowledging mm. that if ordinary people were to suddenly get superpowers, their first instinct would be to become villainous. Yeah, uh, the temptation is too great, isn't it? Mm. Uh, especially if you have a. a a chameleonic power or like an invisibility well, power. And if you think about it, the construction of the idea is really mm. solid. Like it doesn't give you powers for a long time. It gives you powers for five minutes. Mm. What can you what accomplish in five minutes? What can you accomplish yeah. in five minutes? Probably a quick crime. Yeah. yeah like yeah. you maybe if you got a something fun. Job. Like if you got a fun superpower, like you could fly, maybe you could go on a quick joyride or mm. just like make a quick jaunt to New York City or something. Mm. But most of the powers that we see in this are actually like really dangerous and scary well, and, and so there's and, only so much you can do with them that's true in the comics as well like yeah. what what can a lot of superheroes can like fire lasers out of their bodies like out of their fists yeah. or out of their eyes what practical use does that have exactly it's other the, than just breaking shit that's one of the things that like and i appreciated mm. whenever the x-men comics treated the powers as kind of a curse like mm. cyclops i can shoot energy blasts out of my eyes but it happens every time they're open it mm. sucks yeah this is actually something that i would really like because they're going to reboot the x-men movies eventually uh i would like that to be the focus of the x-men because i feel like the x-men were always characters who were a little cursed by it yes because mm. they were shunned by society but also they were often physically mutated in a way that made it difficult for them to blend in yeah. and they felt really ostracized and also so many the, of their the, powers were, the, were genuinely dangerous and as the, a result they the x-men they, movies to date have have largely have dealt with that on some level on some level but mm. i also feel like they they're perfectly willing to let it go like i would love to see like a real focus on Mm-hmm. The outside superheroes who feel like outsiders, especially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where they're not—they're all celebrities. Yeah, you know, like the know. outsider element, and it almost makes me want to see these filmmakers do the X Men movies because <laughs> I think they might actually have a good. And actually, yeah. I, I don't do this very often either. But when I looked up the writer of mm-hmm. uh, this movie, Matson Tomlin, who is a relatively new uh, writer, uh, new to this, the scene. this is the first. Uh, uh, film they've written that has been produced mm. uh but uh he also co-wrote the upcoming batman movie with matt reeves and i'm like oh, okay. well that's encouraging this is someone who's got a different take on the superhero mm. genre maybe that will work out also maybe it won't but if part of me is just like ah, mm. that's cool but yeah, yeah I, 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 interesting writer i want to see what they do i i appreciate that it's not taking for granted that the the whole idea of superpowers uh, is actually a little bit more nuanced than uh, a mere uh, child's power fantasy. Yeah. Like, I'm Superman. I'm bulletproof, and I can fly, and I'm gonna... And it's more, you can't tell me what to do than it is, yeah. I will do just things. And uh, yeah. in this world, if you have superpowers, you are destined to do unjust things. There's uh, not many other things you can do with them, yeah. really. <laughs> um, in any case, so, yeah. So superpowers are bad things, and... Bad people would do bad things with them. Yeah. And here's a movie all about that. And even good people would be tempted to do bad things Mm. with them. That's what power does. It corrupts. Mm. Anyway, a real treat. Honestly, definitely worth checking out. Uh, Even if you're tired of superhero movies, this one does something different with it. it, It's worth seeing. It doesn't have the costumes. doesn't have, like, any origin story crap. Mm. It's just a story. It feels very fresh, even though though a lot of the elements of the story are familiar. The investigation, Mm. the superpowers, whatever. But, like, it just tackles it in just a different enough way that it stands out. So... Good job. This feels like this would be a good uh, double feature with Birds of Prey, which also had that kind of anarchic energy to it. Mm. Uh, Uh, I'm I'm not on on board with that one. I like that one more than you did, but I feel like these two would go well together. I think if you Mm. liked Birds of Prey, this might be worth checking out. Um, 
Next up, uh, while we're still in genre movie territory, let's talk about a new horror film called Sputnik. Uh, Sputnik is uh, a Russian alien knockoff. Uh, Very much so. That uh, And again... Alien knockoff is a genre. It's not a pejorative. <laughs> Alien is one of those movies that when it hit the scene, mm. a, pretty much any other like sci-fi horror movie kind of had to react to it. Mm. And it's kind of easy to rip off. There's a new alien. It's scary. It fucks with you. And that's all we're going to deal with. Mm. That uh, wasn't really a genre before. There, there was a film that came out earlier this year called Sea Fever, which was also an alien yeah. knockoff. And that one was actually like a really quiet and moody kind of film and I like that one a lot that's not to say that Alien didn't have antecedents like you could look at like the thing from another world mm. and it has a lot of like sort of the DNA, yeah. same DNA but for whatever reason that one didn't spawn a ton of knockoffs mm. Alien did <laughs> many Alien knockoffs are quite good this one I feel like is a mixed bag uh, but there's uh, definitely stuff I like about it. It has a cool creature, and that's yeah. that's fifty percent of these kinds of movies. I think it's really slowly paced. It is. I think we give a because it's a one hour and fifty minutes. You need to be in and out in eighty. These yeah. things, these things need to be quick and efficient. And it's not like they're packing it with incident either. Mm. They're just sort of and and I I appreciate being methodical, but at some point we're just padding the film, and I think Sputnik yeah. reaches it. So the plot is uh, it's the early nineteen eighties. A uh, Russian cosmonaut uh, a mission ends in a mysterious event. The cosmonauts land, and one of them has, is has been eaten. Has been eaten, and the other one is alive and has completely been, fucked yeah. up. But then they heal very, very rapidly. A young scientist is brought in, played by, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, uh, Oksana Akinshina. Mm-hmm. Um, she is brought in because uh, we've kind of exhausted all of our ideas. You you have a fresh perspective, and they admire that sh- as a doctor, she would do unconventional mm. things in order to save her patients, and that maybe is exactly what they need in this bizarre situation where a Russian hero uh, may have been exposed to some something alien and terrifying. Well, and, and in fact, uh, staging him as a hero is very, very important in this movie. Very much This so. idea that he has to be sort of the Soviet man of the people. Yep. And, uh, you know, hold him in high regard. So any sort of uh, incident that would make him look any, anything less than 100% heroic has to be covered up really quickly. Yeah. And so we, they have which to make the, which is darn sure. Yeah. Have, that, that's not something you see in other So there's actually, movies, like, yeah. some, some politics at stake. They have to make darn sure that he is as well as possible mm. because he's the face of the nation. Yeah. Uh, so either he either we kill him yeah. or we need to make sure he, if he comes out. Mm. This will not bring shame to, to Soviet Russia. Yeah. Um, and yeah, well, so, well, the, uh, yeah. Oksana Akinshina, Akinshina, um, who I've actually seen in a couple of movies. She's really good in a really depressing movie called Lilia Forever. I heard that's uh, good. I, haven't uh, seen I that. saw a, a Russian music, Russian musical film called Hipsters uh, a couple <laughs> of years ago, which was actually really great. See, hip, if if you're into costume design, see Hipsters. Ooh, it's, that's a, it's, that's cool. Imagine if uh, if. Like this, the suit it takes place in sort of a musical world, but the suits were all lifted from the movie Speed Racer. Like they're mm. all these really brightly colored suits. She uh, was also in The Born Supremacy, apparently. Although I do not remember I, her, I think she was very young at the and time. And I did not see that one. Um, but she's she's asked to do a pretty boring role here. She's just sort of the stern uh, scientist. She's a neuroscientist who has to. She she's kind of on the outs with the government because she doesn't play by the rules quite right, and she makes rash decisions even though they're the correct ones. But it's not what her boss is like, and 
none of that defiance really manifests throughout the movie. It's like that's her backstory, and then she just sort of does generic scientist stuff throughout I, the rest I of the film. I feel like it does, but in a way that, that sucks, mm. and I'll talk about that yeah. in a minute. So she, she interacts with this mm. uh, cosmonaut, and she's oh, trying to figure out what's up with him, but the problem is that they're not being upfront with her. They take her to the secret military installation, <laughs> but instead of telling her everything that's going on right off the bat, they're only revealing information to her in stages. Because, well, it's Soviet Russia. Everything's yeah. really on, on the, the down low. But once she figures it out, basically what it turns out is, and I'll reveal this much to you, and then we'll let it go from there, um, is uh, he is the host to an alien. Yeah, they don't know if it's a parasite or a symbiote. Would Parasite would, of course, be gradually Eating killing him yeah, yeah and the symbiote would be a mutually beneficial yeah. uh, uh, sort of shared coexistence yeah, you saw the movie Venom right <laughs> sure it's uh, exactly like the movie Venom uh, well but, he's, he, he's laying on the he, he falls asleep one evening he rolls off his bunk and then he pukes an alien and it yeah. starts like slinking around it's actually a lot like that what's that cat movie Uninvited Uninvited <laughs> there's this awful awful George Kennedy cat, uh, killer cat movie called... awful and I recommend it by the way cause, it, because it's so bad I, I don't know if I recommend it but uh, it is a whole thing where uh, there's, I a did cat, there's a cat it's quite bad though I forget if it's an alien or a scientific experiment but there's it's a scientific cat, experiment scientific experiment on a cat like a house cat and the cat runs around and then the cat ends up on a boat mm. where a couple of like crime bosses are all like trying to have sexy times with a bunch of hot young people. And the problem is that the cat, every once in a while, pukes up a monstrous larger cat <laughs> that kills people and, and then, then goes retreats back inside, back the, inside cat. the cat. It's so weird that it's larger. Um, this weird horror turducken. But uh, yeah, so this guy occasionally pukes up a monster and um, they need to figure out what to do with that. And discover the nature of it and study it. And, and, and you're right, the monster design is kind of I wouldn't call it unique, but it is very distinctive, mm. and I it's, love it's, the way that it's, it's portrayed. It's, it's very cool unnatural. looking. And it, yeah, it's scary it's looking. It, it does, lot, but it fits. Well, I mean, I, I've I've always maintained that uh, the title of Ridley Scott's Alien is an adjective rather than a noun. Yeah, uh, the thing is alien. It is a weird thing, and yeah. we don't know how to deal with it. And we've never seen anything like that in a movie before. It's kind of kind of disheartening to think that eventually they just like lock it in a pyramid and have it like wail on other aliens it's like now it's just an action monster i i hated the alien versus there's so much possibility with that like it was a lot of cool ideas you could have done with that stop right there no that's true it was neat once james cameron just turned them into like universal horror movie monsters like the the weirdness was off he made that's that's fair. That's really? I, th I still maintain there is there's at least a better Alien versus Predator movie out there than the ones that they made. Sure, I think that's at the very least there was <laughs> a think, better version. I think that first one was about as good as we could have hoped I for. Think that, well, then your standards <laughs> are very low. Um, but so basically, she's got a former relationship with this cosmonaut, and then as she's learning more and more about what is being covered up, what the alien's actual nature is, what the cosmonaut's actual nature is, because he might not be as heroic as he at first seems, she has to decide how to proceed. Mm. Is this a creature that is worth killing? Is it a creature that's worth saving? If it is a creature that's worth killing, what if the cosmonaut is worth saving? And those are interesting questions mm -hmm. and I feel as though ultimately the movie pretty definitively answers them but uh -huh. our protagonist somehow seems confused and she ends up in order to save the patient making a lot of decisions that 
I feel undermined the portrayal of her as this incredibly intelligent, logical person. That, in a way that eh, kind of pisses me off. She she makes dumb action movie decisions, yeah. and that's where yeah, where this but film like, really like, starts to weaken. If you look in Alien, just to go back to it again, when you see that because we have to. Well, Rip, Ripley's arc in Alien is actually beautifully constructed, mm. where uh, and, and she, subtly so. I know yeah. a lot of a lot of critics have hammered on this point, but it's actually not like the centerpiece, and that's what makes it in. No, but because she's not the protagonist until the end of the film. Like mm. you don't realize she's the main character until way later. Sigourney Weaver was not a star when that movie came out. Um, in fact, I think she's like maybe like the fifth most famous person in that cast when that movie came out. Um, but uh, initially, at the beginning of Alien, when John Hurt is, you know, that the face hugger is hugging his face, she refuses to let him on the ship because she is all about protocol. She's mm. all about safety. She's caring less about the individual lives she, of the she's people around le- her. Less casual, a little, a little bit more uh, stern than the other characters. Yeah. And over the course of the film, due to her constant interaction with life and death situations, and also with the revelation that she and her crew are considered expendable by a large corporation, which, much like her, doesn't care if they live or die as long as they're mm. following protocol. She changes to the kind of person who cares about all life to the point that she she's will rescuing a cat she'll rescue, from a monster. Like, yeah. there, she doesn't need to go back for that cat, mm. but she cares about life enough that she will, and that's heroic. Because the, the ending of Alien earns that. We've all seen like action movies or whatever where you see people go out of their way to save an animal, and yeah, we want them to save the animal because we're not monsters, but they're not portrayed as the kind of people who would necessarily care. Or maybe this is that one instance. Where, look, sacrifices have to be made, and if it's Rex, so be it. <laughs> but, like, in a lot of those, it feels kind of forced, or it feels like it's just, like, what people would do. And in Alien, it's really important. Yeah. And it feels completely uh, motivated by her character and who she is. And I feel like a lot of the decisions made by the protagonist and Sputnik feel like the movie is making the decisions, not the character. And that's yeah. really frustrating. Also, and I'm curious about this, the last scene in the movie... Uh-huh. It's after all the big events have happened. There's like a wrap-up. Mm. I'm not even sure I understood what it was in reference to. Like, I think I knew, but I also don't understand why we even needed to see it. Like, it just seemed like a little superfluous was, and was, maybe slightly confusing. It was an entire subplot that was actually not entirely necessary to this movie. I thought we were heading towards this big stinger moment, mm. and instead it goes in a different direction, and I'm just like... We could have cut that scene. Yeah. <laughs> we could have cut that whole subplot, really. That didn't go anywhere. Yeah, it's Imagine if... Uh, I know there's a Superman story somewhere out there. Mm. Like It's sort of like this what-if scenario with instead of uh, baby Superman crash-landing in Kansas, he crash-landed in Soviet Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And became and, like uh, a tool of the state. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, called Superman Red Sun. So imagine a, uh, the Soviet version of Alien. That's what this is. It's... Mm if Alien took place underground in some sort of Soviet, right. super, super secret Soviet bunker. And that, that's, like, I get that's that, the, the but I still don't think that last scene ties into yeah, that. The in background is really interesting. Uh, and I think, you know, some of the, the way they're dealing with secrets is kind of interesting. The ultimate reveals are predictable, predictable and boring. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of extraneous plot stuff. And yeah, the characters sort of start taking a backseat to the, the horror after a while. And, you know, once there's this big sort of horrific revelation, they just sort of repeat it over and over again. And it doesn't yeah. become any more horrific. No, it's we're uh, kind of done. Yeah. Th- this is, there's a lean film somewhere in here. And yeah, there's a sharp 90 yeah, minute yeah. movie in this movie, but mm-hmm. the longer this movie is, the more time we have to think about how 
especially the protagonist is making decisions that don't make sense for her character. Yeah. yeah. Like a lot of people make decisions that don't make sense in real life. But if we knew them well enough, we'd know why we made them. Mm -hmm. And here we get to know her well enough because we spend enough time with her, like quiet time to understand who she is and the kind of person that she is. And then she does other shit anyway. It doesn't really work. However, if you're a monster movie fan, the monster stuff is interesting enough that this might be worth a recommendation yeah, to you. If you're not a monster movie fan, I think this is a safe pass. I, I think I think they do a lot with uh, limited effects budget. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a really cool monster design. It's a fine monster movie. I, I, it's a passable. I, I think you liked it a little bit more than I did, but neither of us are super high. No, on. no, no. Uh, before we we get to the other thing, uh, tell me about the Bay of Silence. The Bay of Silence. This is the second uh, shitty clay clay bang thriller I've seen in as many weeks. Because <laughs> last week I reviewed the Burnt Orange Heresy, if you recall, mm, which was a, a not very thrilling film about a not very thrilling art heist. And it had some notable names, like Clay's Bang was the the one in the was the protagonist, but you know Donald Sutherland is in it. And Mick Jagger was in that one. This one has Olga Kurylenko, The oh. Bay of Silence, and he, uh, she, and Clay's Bang uh, are are married. Uh, she has two twins from a previous marriage. They have a son together, but she is a little mentally disturbed, uh, and she's having uh, all kinds of strange, almost schizophrenic-like reactions to things around her. She seems to be unraveling for no real reason. Uh, and one day, she just sort of takes the children and absconds to a faraway house somewhere and he doesn't know where, somewhere mm. out of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's kidnapped his children, and now he has to go on a quest to find them. What he finds is unbelievably horrific okay. uh, because of, of what she... What, the state of her mind and what that has forced her to do. And I don't want to say what it is, just in case you want to see this shitty movie. But, uh... Spoiler alert, uh, Whitney thinks it's shitty. Yeah, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I can say shitty a couple more times. Yeah, you can say it on the, you can say it on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> can't go on KCRW and say don't see this shitty movie. <laughs> but uh, the movie then sort of shifts into uh, there's a long portion where they're going to talk about how they heal from this and what was really wrong with her and what was really wrong with her, not in terms of uh, diagnosing her psychosis, but the origin of her psychosis and about dark things that happened in her past. And it becomes this big, weird conspiracy about uh, some defunct French photographer and Brian Cox is in it. And he seems to know, seems to know something about Olga Kirilenko's past and how this plays into how she was essentially forced to become schizophrenic by this weird series of events in her past and how that might be rubbing off on her children in this weird way or that that may or may not be a plot point. It's really badly written. Mm. It is really frustratingly patient with the way it meets out information. So by the time we get to what the movie's about, we're 10 minutes from the end. When we finally uh, real, when we finally realize, oh, this is a thriller about this. This is we're finally looking into this element of the story. We're we're near the conclusion. And it's just going to conclude right after that. I feel so. Like I'm, I'm having a, a tough time describing the story because all of it's saved to the very end. This is this is a trap. I think a lot of writers can mm. fall into pretty easily, where you get really hung up on making something like a really big twist. And sometimes when you've got a twist. You gotta ask yourself, would the movie be more interesting if we knew the twist up front or maybe at the end of Act One? Yeah. And I find sometimes that's very much the case. Because if you're holding everything back for the last bit, and I mean everything, like you're mm-hmm. holding the big drama and the, all the things that motivate the other things, 
you got to ask yourself, will there be a possibility that people will not be patient enough or interested enough to get to your ending? Well, there's there's two ways to write a mystery. There's the right right way and the wrong way. Uh, The right way is to figure out what the mystery is and then backward engineer your story. Uh, you know, figure out what leads to this, who's involved, and then figure out how your protagonist mm-hmm. is going to work their way into that. Don't start with, I, I know it's tempting to start with an unusual scenario. I woke up and there was a dead raccoon stapled to the ceiling and that's a mystery. And, uh-huh. and now I have if to, you're not David Lynch, that's hard to pull off. If you are yeah. David Lynch, you can do it multiple times and it's fine. Because David, David Lynch has uh, an operational ethos that doesn't involve a solution. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> the, the investigation of the mystery is more revealing be, yeah. and important, than which being, is actually true for a lot of mysteries. Being lost in the mystery is what's important uh, for David Lynch. Really, a mystery, more times than not, isn't about the solution. It's an ex- The solution, solving the crime, is just an excuse hmm. to interact with and explore and discover things about people or a society, or a culture, or a town, or an organization, or whatever. But it's basically an excuse to go digging. Yeah. And if you can find interesting interesting things when you're digging, the solution to the mystery becomes less relevant over time. We still want one, but... Yeah. That ultimately is becomes I, not the point of the story. But I think if you're writing a mystery, you need to you need to know what at the outset what the solution is mm-hmm. and who was involved and why. And uh, I feel like this one was one of those things that charged in headlong and just st- kind of explored and found its way through mm. as it went along and uh, had that in its mind so much that we're going to keep this mystery going for as long as possible that it forgot to be about anything yeah or or it was finally about something but it was it was strung you along for so damn long that it was frustrating uh this was directed by uh Paulor Vander Oost who did a film called Zeus and Zoe which was nominated for best foreign picture at the Academy Awards a couple years back mm. um I'm not familiar with Zeus and Zoe but she is an Academy Award nominated director yeah uh, director and I wish there were something to show uh, like a little bit more of her talent. She clearly has a good eye for certain kinds of character nuance and for a certain kind of uh, look. She's actually really good at attaching mystery and dread to a place. So when we enter into a scene, we know exactly how off-putting it is. And there's little hints, like little bits of rot here and there around the edges where we get to know that everything's just a little bit out of joint about this universe. So she does have a little bit of a flair. I think she was failed by the screenplay though. Mm. Let me ask you a question because mm. you said this is the second mm. class bang. Uh, uh, and I hope I'm not totally mangling that name, by the mm. way, uh, movie you've seen he's, in two weeks. And he's, he's one of those, he's a Danish actor. So yeah, he's one of those course. actors who I don't think anyone knew about. And then in the last year or so, mm. it's kind of exploded largely because he was the star of that, uh, Netflix miniseries Dracula, although it might have been BBC, but it's a British miniseries based on Dracula, pretty loosely. Uh-huh. And I saw the first episode. There was stuff I liked about it, but it didn't get me interested enough to see more. I, I uh, is he really compelling? Is there a reason like he's popping right now? Uh, they're they're trying to sell him as like a little bit more of a matinee star. Uh, the first film I saw him in was that film The Square from a couple of years ago, which oh, was yeah. all about uh, you know intricacies within the art world and how meaningless a lot of art is. And I actually really liked that movie, the square. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think when he's dealing with uh, something a little bit more peculiar, he's stronger. And in these last two films, he's asked to be sexy leading man. And he's fine. Mm -hmm. He's a fine, sexy leading man, but I think his strengths lie elsewhere. Okay. Well, he's, he's Mm -hmm. an okay Dracula. I've seen worse Dracula's. That's for sure. He's not my favorite, Mm -hmm. but I've seen worse. Um, 
All right, and moving on, last film of the week uh, is a new... I hesitate to call it a YA romance because I think when you call something a YA movie, the implication is that it's based on a YA novel. Uh-huh. And this is not. This is an original story, but it has it's that... It's just a teen romance. It has a teen yeah. romance. It has that YA vibe. Mm. Um, and well, uh, it's it, called it's, Endless. This is a film that came out in the uh, after Twilight did, and Twilight kind of rattled a lot of the way teen romances were written, didn't it? Mm. Uh, especially, I, I if know there's this, a, especially if there's a supernatural mm. element. I, I know this because I've, I saw the movies based on these books and a lot of the movies that came out after Twilight and how... Yeah achingly obsessed with death they were. Uh, In fact, this has a very similar premise to another teenage romance called If I Stay. Which started uh, Chloe Grace Moretz as she's in an accident and then she's she's, in a coma. But her her ghost is wandering around, even though her body's in a coma, her ghost is wandering around and she has to figure out a way to express her her undying love to the man she's in love with. Yeah. Yeah. this one's a ghost knockoff uh, that you see coming a mile away. It stars Alexandra Shipp, an incredibly talented actress who is underserved by most of her projects. Pretty much everything except Tragedy Girls. She's really good in Tragedy Girls. Yeah. Uh, she played Storm. She was underserved. Uh, she was underserved when she played Storm in the X Men. Yeah, the material movies. just wasn't there for uh, her. It was sad. Yeah. She was in uh, that really horrendous Shaft sequel. Oh, that was her in yeah, that. Yeah, that was oh. Alexander Ship, and now she's in, in this really crappy teen romance. Uh, she's dating white boy McBlanderson, who uh-huh. is just a boring, boring, boring piece of toast. He's like uh, Nicholas Holt's, like... Okay, you know how, like, there used to be this trend in movies where there would be a big movie star, and then their sibling got work in, like, crappy movies, but they look just enough like them? Uh-huh. You know, like like... You would you couldn't get Tom Hanks, but you could get Roger Hanks, like that kind of thing. <laughs> there's a there's a movie out there. There's a movie out there. This one, this one stars Sylvester and Frank Stallone. What, yeah, Frank is another good example. What, what was that movie? And they did an MST3K about. It. I can't remember the title offhand. Where it was Sean Connery's brother. Oh yeah, like double O, like double O, agent agent double double zero zero seven. Yeah. Like double double oh seven, no. um, and the idea is James Bond dies, and so they need to get his brother, mm. who is even cooler than James Bond, to replace him. And this one's weird because it's actually got like people from the James, like Lois Maxwell's in it, mm. so it feels kind of like a real James Bond movie. Like they're really trying to pretend it's a real thing, um, and it's terrible. <laughs> it's a yeah. Really shitty movie, but uh, and this guy feels like off-brand Nicholas Holt. Yeah, like uh, it's just like Nicholas Holt's like older, less mm-hmm. talented brother. And I don't. And his it. name is Nicholas Hamilton, just to confuse the issue. Oh, God. Yeah, he's an Australian actor named Nicholas Hamilton. He's he's handsome. Yeah, he's boring. he might even have. You know what? He's Here's playing the, a boring role. He, he might even have talent because <clears throat> this is the kind of movie where. Like only like one actor emerges from this movie unscathed, and it's Famke Jansen, <laughs> and she plays the dude's brother. So here's the plot: Alexander Ship, dude's mom, dude's uh, you said brother. Famke Jansen does not play his brother. No, she does not. That'd Although be, that would that would have been a, quite would, a feat of acting. I would have loved to have seen that movie. Um, but uh, in any case, uh, Alexander Ship and Nicholas Hamilton, they are teenagers and they are in love. She wants to be a lawyer. But she's also an artist, and maybe that's who she really is. He rides a motorcycle, and we're done. Uh, They are in love, and (laughs) their love is pure. Okay, now, just with that much description, predict what happens. Hey, you're right. Yeah. Uh, It turns out uh, that 
they're going to get in a car wreck within the first 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah, they get in a car and, wreck and uh, he dies, but his ghost is still wandering around, kind of like that one movie. Ghost. In fact, the first thing that happens to him is he's attacked by the subway ghost from Ghost. It's like this big bearded, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the bearded loud guy. Vincent and, Chevelli character. Yeah, there's this guy who looks just like the subway ghost from Ghost who starts yelling at him like, oh, I can see you, you bear! Mm. And then he's rescued by... Ghost who just happens to be there to explain the rules of being a ghost. Yeah, it's a, a, a ghost, a guy who died in the eight, the eighties, and I wish they had rolled with that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like they gave him a sort of a vaguely eighties haircut, something. But it would, wouldn't have been great if he was wearing like you know really bright neon colors and yeah, big sneakers or something. Had a flock of seagulls hair or something. Yeah, yeah. So, something uh, would have been would have been funny. Played by an actor named Deron Horton, and he's again, it's kind of a thankless role. He, he brings, tries to bring some personality to it, but it's, yeah, he, he just gives exposition on as to how ghost stuff works. And it turns out you can kind of communicate with the living, but for the most part, nobody can ever see. You can only communicate with the living. If there was love there, like true, perfect, beautiful love. And the only person <laughs> who has ever experienced love this powerful mm. is Blandy McBlanderson and his girlfriend. Mm. And you really buy it because they bicker a lot at the beginning. Oh yeah, and, and uh, like he doesn't like appreciate her goals and um, like he's like, you want to be a lawyer? You should be an artist. That's not who you are. It's like, what are you talking about? I've wanted to be a lawyer my whole life. It's like, no! And then they get in a car accident. Uh, love! Uh, Exciting and new. Come aboard. <laughs> I predicted you. <laughs> um, oh, and so Alexander Ship is just moping around in like really sad lighting, as, like that Janusz uh, Kaminski streaming through the windows, so her, you know it's depressing lighting. Her parents are trying to uh, protect her from the law because it turns out she was responsible for the accident, and they are trying to do everything within their power to protect her, but not in a protective sort of way, in a real asshole sort of way. Yeah, listen, they're we really, know you're a murderer, really but it mean about it. it's not in your best interest to be a murderer so we're gonna make sure you lie about it and And here's the thing that really pisses me off about this because we see the accident Mm. and when the cops keep coming after her saying we saw that there were texts on your phone around the time of the accident were you texting and driving a no, Actually, he was texting. Yeah, he was texting. So it does look bad. I grant you that. But she doesn't that. say that. I don't know why. She could just say no. My boyfriend was in the car. He had my phone. Uh. He was texting. You know what? People do that all the damn time. You're not driving. You can text. B. She takes the phone away from him. She doesn't text with it. And there's a bit where she's looking at him. And you know that scene in movies where someone's looking at the passenger mm. and then they get hit by a car, which is actually yeah. a very common way to get hit by a car. Distracted driving is like one of the most dangerous yeah. things you can do. But you expect that she's going to be looking at them and then they're going to hit a car. It's That's not what happens. She's looking at him and then she looks right in front of her and then several seconds later she goes, ah, and then hits the brakes. And the reason why is because the people in front of her had their brake lights off and she just ran into them. And that's, we saw that happen. Mm. Now listen, she's still, she's, it makes sense that she feels guilty because she was driving and her boyfriend died. That yeah. sucks. However, the whole thing about criminal culpability falls completely apart if the audience saw that there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing there. You could have made it so that she was texting. <laughs> That's a sad thing that people do, and it leads to real mm. tragic moments, but they just couldn't they couldn't let her off the hook that way. Yeah. So they had to show right off the bat that she is off the hook, but yet we're still going to try to pretend there's suspense there, mm. and there's none. There's none. And here's the curious thing. Uh 
she keeps on insisting that she, she wants to take blame for this because she feels really guilty about yeah. what she did. And her parents are saying, no, no, we have to be an asshole about this. We have to make sure you're off the hook. And she says, no, I, 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 here's my confession. I want to t- turn this over to the police. It was my fault. I'm going to do the right thing. And the parents are, you know, hesitant, but at, at least in real life, they would say something like, we admire that you're trying to do the right thing. Let's do this together. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out what our future is going let's, to be. Let's, let's talk to yeah. our lawyer about the best way we can frame exactly. this so that your future isn't ruined by this. But, but you know, yeah. the, the, the parents are such assholes that they actually just keep baiting the police. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, she has two best friends who are also friend with dead McBlandy mm-hmm. and they're also despondent over his death. Yeah, they're very one of, sad. One of them starts drinking heavily, like just drinking openly in public. Mm-hmm. Because it was and, his car that they were driving, so yeah. he feels kind of responsible too, which yeah. and, it uh, makes sense. And then her, her best girlfriend... He's not, but he makes sense. Her best yeah. girlfriend says, you've been moping around all this and you keep on talking about how you're seeing his ghost. You're just feeling guilty because you caused her his death. You know, the thing she kept on saying that she did. Yeah. When her best friend says that, she gets super defensive uh-huh. and says, how dare you? How dare you accuse me of causing his death, even though that's what she wanted to be acknowledged. And it's not in the kind of way where you're like, people are complicated. And on some respects, yeah. we do want to protect ourselves. And in some respects, we do no, it's just feel guilt and shame. It's just yeah. presented really inconsistently and annoyingly. And it's weird. Mm. Um Anyway, yeah. it turns out that because they were the most more in love than any two people had ever been, mm. bullshit. <laughs> uh, he can see her; she can see him a little bit, and they can have these rendezvous. But then it turns out that might be a bad thing. Well, it, and it, it, it turns out that whenever, she, whenever she draws, whenever she is uh, expo- mm. expressing herself creatively, that's when the love comes to the surface because yeah. she's being more true to herself yeah. and he appears in a beam of, or she closes her eyes and he can walk up to her and touch her. And then the next time they can kind of actually like look at each other and kiss. And so he's, he's, he's pretty much alive to her in those moments. Yeah. And here's the thing. She refuses to tell any, like she starts telling people about this in a really weird guarded sort of way. So no one would believe her. Yeah. She, she doesn't just out and say, I saw him. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. She just says, no, I think he might still be alive. Hint, hint, because he really is. And they start, they start having these ghostly rendezvous and neither of them ever brings up that this is sort of a temporary thing. And they yeah. don't ever have like a, a, move, a goal to move forward with any of this. There's like, a- Oh, well maybe we can have a plan. Maybe we can mm-hmm. work on bringing him back to life or work out mm-hmm. some sort of scenario where we can or, visit each other really frequently. You, can, you yeah. can do that. Uh, ghost and Mrs. Muir thing where like, he's going to be with her her whole life. Yeah. And it's kind of sad. And maybe at some point he needs to take a back seat and let her live her life. And maybe they'll be reunited in the afterlife. And that would be nice. You could do something like that, but that would require something like introspection or thought. And that's not the movie that we're watching. The movie, I really wanted this to have. There's a movie that came out around the time ghost came out. And by the way, Mm. ghost is great. Ghost is a really, it's, you know, it's, it's been copied and riffed on so much that it's kind of feels like a joke. But if you go back and rewatch Ghost, yeah, it's a little hokey sometimes, but it's mm-hmm. really well constructed. Yeah. Like it's a well-made movie. The premise is solid. The ideas and the rules of the afterlife make sense. It's very strong. It's more than Unchanged Melody. Yeah, it's really a good film. Like mm-hmm. maybe 
it's not my favorite of its kind, but it's really good. There's a movie that came out around the same time that was so much like Ghost that it just kind of got swept to the side. Kind of like when Copycat came out right after Seven. Doesn't wow. matter how great Copycat is, it came out after Seven and no one noticed. Copycat's good, by Copycat, the way. Copycat, yeah. fucking awesome, by the way. People should see that movie. But uh, there's a movie that came out around the same time as Ghost. I think it was the directorial debut of Anthony Minghella, who would go on to do The English Patient mm-hmm. and Talented Mr. Ripley, called Truly Madly Deeply. And this movie is wonderful. <laughs> it is the wonderful version of this. It's about a woman. Uh, she has recently lost her boyfriend. He died. And I forget how. He was way too young, though. Um, a car accident or untimely disease. And um, she's despondent. She can't live without him. And then finally, he just comes back to her. And that's it. There's no fantasy to mm. it. He just comes back to her and he's living in her apartment. But he can't leave her apartment. He can't go around and say hi to people and say, hey, the afterlife's real. He's just got to stay there. He's haunting her apartment. He's haunting her apartment. She knows he's there and they have a good time. But every time she leaves the apartment, she's living a life without him and they start growing apart. Mm. And it's all basically like the idea of growing apart in a relationship is kind of a metaphor for the mourning process where I'm, we're really connected and really part of you. But over time, I will live my own life more and we're just not going to connect. It's really beautifully written. Alan Rickman uh, plays the boyfriend. I forget who it is who plays the the lead, but she's wonderful Mm -hmm. too. It's really sweet. It's really kind. It's very understanding. There's a great bit where Alan Rickman invites a lot of other ghost friends to come over and watch videos. (laughs) They're just debating what they're going to watch because he only has so many movies. It's really cute, but it's got humor and it's got depth and it's got a real insight into what mourning is like. And I get that when you're young... All of your emotions are super intense because you haven't had those emotions before. There's a reason why your first love feels super intense. And I'm not saying your first love isn't real because it often is. But you've never felt love like that before. You've never felt that kind of romantic love. And as a result, it's really overwhelming. And you don't know what to do with it. And you don't have any like hard-earned wisdom about how to handle it. And so, so many damn stories about it. Yeah, it's Romeo and Juliet, Twilight, all of these things. They just feel really super-duper intense. And so I get that. It's kind of just overwhelming and kind of simplified because everything else feels unimportant. And that's just can, and that can be the same with any major emotion when you're young. Mourning can be part of that. Uh, but I feel like those kinds of stories need to be told with the depth and complexity that the characters, because they are young and they're gaining wisdom over the course of the story initially lack yeah and here there's none of that and the only person who feels like you're actually in something is famke jansen is the boy's mother who is genuinely mourning and this woman keeps coming up to him saying yeah i just wanted to let you know i feel really bad about killing your son she's like you should feel bad get the fuck out of my house (laughs) i never want to see you again and then she steals something from his room and it's like you stole my fucking son's watch what the fuck is the matter with no, no, you? No, you don't understand. His ghost told me to. Shut the yeah. fuck up and get out of here. Uh, the, one of my least favorite things about Twilight, and I, I gave Twilight a lot of shit. It's not as bad as as it got a reputation for among a certain crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was hugely successful. A lot of people really loved it, but mm-hmm. a lot of people really, really hated it. And, uh, and I think a lot of people really hated it because mm-hmm. other people really loved yeah, it, which is not a healthy relationship we, we to ta- have with media. We talked a lot about this on our commentary for Twilight mm-hmm. and uh, about how you know, sexism was a huge huge part of that backlash. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I did, I also don't enjoy Twilight. I think it's just a boring story. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of really good teen romances. Twilight isn't one of them. And I think mm-hmm. it's because Twilight 
indulges in a lot of kind of unhealthy fantasies the same way a, you know a, a violence fantasy might appeal to a young person i feel like this is something where romance cannot be pure unless death and eternity are involved yeah that's and that's people, a good example yeah, because and, like that's a first love situation mm-hmm. where in order to be with your first love boyfriend you, you have, have to, to commit to become being with, the undead yeah you have to commit to being with him for literally eternity and the movie the stories don't really question that and ultimately mm-hmm. they say that that's the perfect love and i'm like mm-hmm. that's not really no there should be more nuanced there it, it, that's not a argue, healthy thing to promote it argues that these really sort of quite frankly immature romantic impulses mm-hmm. that young people have are the best ones yeah and it, it has nothing to do with growth or uh real life love yeah and i feel like a lot of the worst teen romances that have come out in the wake of twilight deal with something similar where all of your death informed romantic fantasies are the best romances Mm -hmm. i think that's an unhealthy message to send i think endless not only sends that unhealthy message but it tells it really lazily Mm -hmm. just sort of sleepwalking through something irresponsible not really thinking about it uh it, it doesn't have a lot of life or wit or energy or character which is weird because the guy who directed this did one of the step up movies yeah he did step up revolution which is one of the great ones it's, yeah th- three and four that, that's the fourth one and the three and four are quite good i think two three and four that's a great like mini trilogy within the set and they're the, all the really moose wonderful trilogy. He's in the fifth one, too. Yeah. The Moose Chronicles are all pretty solid. Step Up All In doesn't quite nail it, but it's not bad either. Mm. Uh, but 2, 3, and 4 are the really awesome ones. And yeah, Step Up 4, I, I have a few issues with the ending, but it's great. Like It's really <laughs> fun. It knows what it is. It's a little self-aware. The, the, it's well-constructed. The dancing is amazing. Mm. It's great. It's truly entertaining. And then you watch something like this, and you're just like, what happened, man? Like, yeah, you, you're ca- he, he at least was wise enough to cast an actress like Alexander Ship, who can bring a lot of really interesting mm-hmm. uh, texture to her performances, even if she's in a bad movie. Uh, sadly, this isn't one of those. This, times. No, it's she's not. Really, she, she's asked to do just this really whiny, horrible character. Yeah, and so she, she's playing it, but she's playing a horrible person. I, I feel like the the makeup department putting bags under her eyes does more to inform her character than the script does. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, I watched this uh, with my wife and partner, Michelle, who uh, recently co-hosted uh, our latest episode of Cancel Too Soon about High School of the Dead, and will join us next time for Princess Jellyfish. But um, she... <laughs> she I'm trying to exactly what she said, but she said basically that, like, this movie, like just doesn't understand like anything about the human condition and it ultimately like sullies the concept of death like it undermines death as something that has any meaning and again if you think about an afterlife we're like oh well you know maybe it's not so bad to be dead because i believe in heaven or whatever but like even then death has meaning and here it just feels like it's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And that sucks. That sucks, man. This movie is T- really, 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 quite really bad. quite bad. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the worst movies I've seen all year. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's pretty damn awful. Yeah. Uh, yeah just, the, I, yeah, I did not like I, it. No, 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 just unhappy thinking about it. Yeah. Let's move on. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to review our new release films on the critically acclaimed scale, the critically acclaimed scale for anyone who's new. Uh, runs from C- minus to C+, plus, where the lowest you can get is a C-. minus. That's below average. That mm. could be everything from just kind of not good to 
endless. Uh, and C <laughs> is average, which is where most films lie. There's some good, there's some bad. It's a qualified recommendation. Maybe if you like the genre, it's okay, but if not, you can skip it. And then C plus is a genuine recommendation. It is above average, and it could potentially even be one of the best movies of all time. C plus is a very general category. Uh, we ain't making our way on posters. That's our point. That's we're, the whole point. We're, we're obfuscating the poll quote. <laughs> it's not a job of a, of, a, of a film critic to be quoted on posters. However, we it does make um, us feel um, good. When unless we can... you're Peter Travers. I, oh, shoot. Did I say that out loud? Oh, <laughs> burn on Peter Travers. You might Rolling Peter Stone. Travers is quoted on everything. Everything. That's, yeah. that's I just, just, I just say, gag. I just say, yeah, that it's it's a little joke among the, the critical yeah. community. Yeah. Peter Travers, pretty good critic. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. No, no slight to the man yeah. or, or his skill, but he's quoted on everything. Yeah, so comedy. Uh, but uh, in any case, it, it, it's our pleasure to hopefully guide you to good movies. That is part of our job, but it's not our job to end up on posters. So, mm. uh, in any case, uh, so endless, big old C minus. <laughs> C minus, yeah. This, yeah. This, this, this Poster movie, child for C minus. This movie is the pits. Just don't, don't bother. Okay. Bay of Silence. Bay of Silence. Uh, also, C minus. I understand. It's way more ambitious than something like Endless. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot more character and a lot more nuance and psychology. But yeah, I think it's just really kind of lazily told. Yeah. Well, I didn't see that one, so mm-hmm. I don't have a review. Uh, Sputnik. Sputnik a C. Hmm. It's a decent, decent-ish monster flick. I, I don't have anything that I hate about it. Just it's not. It could be better. I, I'm all. I'm really hovering around C minus here, just because it is long and I feel it doesn't add up to enough. But I'm going to give it a very low C minus. I think the monster saves it. I think the context around it, the idea of you know sort of Russian propaganda and conspiracy, yeah. adds a little bit more to an other to a film that otherwise feels padded. And you said it, you said a low C minus. No, no, a low C. Well, okay, sorry, it's a it's a really high C minus or a very low C. Yeah, okay. I'll be kind this week and I'll give it a low C because the monster is cool and there's some good elements to the story, but yeah. there's a lot that doesn't work. So, caveat emptor. And Project Power. Project I, Power is a C plus. Big old C plus. Yeah, I, I Real really treat. enjoyed this film. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, just when you think that, like, oh, there have been so many superhero movies, something fresh can come along. Mm. And even if it's just the attitude the filmmakers have about the topic, that can be enough yeah. sometimes to just really reinvigorate what makes a thing cool. So I hope people see it. I hope people like it. And I hope uh, it and Birds of Prey and a couple of the other more interesting superhero movies that have come out lately... Uh, inspire people to try to bring new ideas into the genre and not rest on your laurels. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, moving on to the streaming club of the week, we decided that since the last time we covered Disney Plus, we focused on animated movies. We did the Disney animated Robin Hood. This time we would focus on Disney live action movies that we hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm pretty sure that when people saw that Cool Runnings was on the poll, they were just like, how is some one of you not seeing Cool Runnings? Well, and they just dominated. The, it was one of the biggest <laughs> runaways we've ever had. I could have put the Mighty Ducks on there as well, but I knew, I knew that one would have won, See, so I didn't want to weigh in. Before so. I knew you were putting Cool Runnings on there, I put Miracle on there because I hadn't seen the, that. Kurt Russell movie about the Miracle on Ice, that big underdog hockey movie about also mm. about the Olympics. Um, I thought that was going to be a, a clear winner, but yeah, Cool Runnings is a 90s family classic. It was very popular when it came out, and uh, people still love it. I hadn't rewatched it probably since like 1995, okay. like a few years after it came out on home mm-hmm. video. It's the kind of thing that like a teacher would put on in a class in rainy day, yeah, because it's like 
pretty safe for all audiences. It's It's pretty harmless. It's a pretty innocuous film. Uh, And and in fact, that's sort of what steered me away from a lot of these movies when I was uh, a teenager. Because first of all, I'm a teenager and I'm not as interested in sort of lightweight kitty Disney fare at the time. Mm -hmm. I was a little too cool. I was like busy exploring Mm -hmm. like... John Waters films and David Lynch movies. Disney so I wasn't was, wasn't going out to see cool runnings when I'm at home watching Eraserhead. Disney nowadays is synonymous with big franchise fare. You know, mm-hmm. they're synonymous with Star Wars, synonymous with Marvel, synonymous with Pixar and all these other things that are maybe not other maybe, companies. Is this yeah, what you're saying? Maybe, fair enough. But like, maybe not some of them are cool and some of them are not, but there's a certain, everyone can enjoy this. They're for all audiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally all audiences. In the 90s, Disney had a very specific family movie brand where yeah. they were typically catering to parents who want to watch something safe with their mm. kids. And they would make things like The Santa Claus, which is delightfully <laughs> harmless. <laughs> You're Satan, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, like there's just there's just not much to it, really. It's, it's, it's a sweet film. Don't get me wrong. I like The Santa Claus, but yeah. it's it's got a high concept. It's safe. It's fun for all ages. There's a little bit of imagination to and it. It was a huge hit. Gigantic hit. And I see why. It's a fun flick. But mm-hmm. like they would turn out all of these very similar feeling family-friendly jaunts. And mm-hmm. Cool Runnings was kind of part of that. But it was also a sports movie, and it was a sports movie about a real-life event, mm. which we'll talk about they took many, many liberties with. But uh, And as a result, it felt a little bit less like a kid's movie, like a family kid's movie, and more like a real movie that catered a little bit more to younger audiences than you'd expect. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why it was a bigger hit than a lot of other similar films of its ilk. And uh, why it's still remembered very yeah. fondly today yeah, is because the, it was just a little bit, a, you could take it a little bit more seriously yeah. than a lot of like the other this, kid stuff around. I, I, maybe so. Uh, watching the film, and I've now seen it for the first mm-hmm. time, it is square down the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. This is a 5 out of 10 completely average, oh, totally efficient no, no, no. kind of movie. Oh, um, screw you. It's directed by John Turtletaub, who is who does nothing but those kinds of movies. Yeah, a lot of movies kinds that are, are right better up the than kinds, you'd think, like, but a, not amazing. Yeah, like he did uh, While You Were Sleeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did fin- I, managed to yeah. see, I managed to see a lot of John Turtletaub movies without trying. Yeah. Uh, here, here, the most recent movie he did was The Meg, about the giant killer shark. Which is actually a little bit more like, because that's actually kind of like a PG-13 horror movie that's mm-hmm. got a little bit more humor and it's edge got, got than a his little, movies yeah, a little quirk, but, but yeah. the, let's run down real fast yeah. these are uh john turtletop's mm. uh films he did a movie uh, i haven't seen called he had a couple movies i haven't seen called think big which is stars the barbarian brothers oh my god <laughs> i might have seen that actually i forgot that that was wow yeah. okay fair enough i i i'm Swear I've seen Think Big on TV. Uh, he did a movie called Driving Me Crazy, uh, mm. which is about a prototype mm. car. So I didn't see that either. But uh, his big like breakout hit was he directed Three Ninjas, which was huge. Which it was, was basically like, how do we combine Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Home Alone? And, and they did it. And it worked. I mean, it's not a great movie, but uh, like, oh, no, it was a hit. In fact, it's crap. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really not good. It's, here, here, here's the distinction Three Ninjas has, and this would get you a, get you a good idea as to what era it came from. It has one not, <laughs> one psych, and one face. All three of those. 
Or in Three Ninjas. Yeah, which is not to be confused with Surf Ninjas, which has a little bit more personality. <laughs> it's also kind of dumb, but Surf Ninjas has more personality. It has a magic game gear. The, the Sega Game Gear, that's yeah, right. It's hilarious. Uh, he did. Uh, then he did Cool Runnings, which is a huge hit. Mm. Then he did While You Were Sleeping, which is a very good rom-com with a bad, you know, kind of wonky premise, but mm. it's very well made. And it's, it's one of the films that made Sandra Bullock a star. It, it came out during the time when romantic comedies were big business. Yeah, there was a huge decade mm. for rom-coms in the 90s. Uh, then we had Phenomenon, the movie where uh, John Travolta gets superpowers, Sud- but it's not suddenly, cool, it's romantic and sad. Yeah, suddenly Sega, and that, that one was a big hit too. It was a kind of a sleeper too. Nobody yeah. expected anything from that one. It had a one. Big, uh, 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 big soundtrack with uh, Eric Clapton. Mm. Um, it, was, it was a popular film. Uh, then he did uh, the movie that was uh, Anthony Hopkins uh, is like in a mental institution and someone comes in to, to talk to him about like the horrible things that have happened. Uh, and, it and it turns out he, he moved in with a bunch of gorillas. Yeah, so it's not Silence <laughs> of the Lambs. It's actually called Instinct. <laughs> Nobody talks about that movie anymore. It's him and Cuba Gooding Jr. It's so fucking weird. Um, then he did a movie called The Kid, which is like Bruce Willis kid, yeah. meets like his, his younger self. self yeah. yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah. And then he did National Treasure, which is, let's be honest here, it's a fucking Raiders of the Lost Ark knockoff, but it is a fun one. <laughs> I, I like that. That movie's yeah. fine. Like that movie is a perfectly serviceable Indiana Jones Here, knockoff. Here's something kind of kind of funny. And I'm telling on uh, one of my coworkers here, but uh, somebody at, at the New Beverly Cinema where I work, uh, somebody clipped a picture of Nicolas Cage from Valley Girl and put it up on the wall just because he looks cool in that movie mm-hmm. and have a little movie image on the wall. And I wrote a little speech bubble uh, that says, "I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence <laughs> and put it next to his face." <laughs> And she asked me what the hell that meant. It's like, like, how can you know the, not know the corny premise of this hit movie from like the early 2000s? It's a great line. Mm. Like it's one of those lines where like after, if someone actually like, do you realize what you just said? Like, I know we're going to do it, but like, do, do you realize what you just said? You know, it's a weird sentence. Do you know why he's going to steal the Declaration of Independence? Because there's, there's an invisible map on the back. <laughs> it's, that's a tre- a, it's a treasure map. Look, that's fine. Okay. Then it's National it's, Treasure it's, 2. It's really stupid. Uh, National yeah. Treasure 2 holds a dear space in my heart because in in order to promote it they had a citywide scavenger hunt that i participated in and i won a trip to new york out of it wow i didn't know that where they where they had like a a final where you could participate in another citywide scavenger hunt in new york and i came in fourth that's amazing i didn't know that uh then i did the sorcerer's apprentice which was supposed to be like back before disney had bought all the big cool sci-fi franchises they were trying to do like an action Mm -hmm. science fiction spectacular of some kind uh so they did turn the Sorcerer's Apprentice from Fantasia into like a YA fantasy story about a kid mm. who might be the next great sorcerer and Nicolas Cage has to train him. I rewatched it not that long ago for an article I was writing. It's another one that like, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, you can totally watch that movie and have a good time and a week later you will forget you watched it. But it's fine. It's that's, well it's well made enough. That's John Turtledob for you. <laughs> then he did a movie called Last Vegas. I didn't see Last Vegas. Last Vegas, which is one of those movies that has this amazing cast, and you're just like, why? Yeah. It says Michael Douglas, Robert De Niro, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Klein, and Mary Steenburgen. Mm. That's an amazing cast, and it's about a bunch of old dudes who are friends, and they decide they're going to go to Las Vegas and like spend a lot of money and have like one awesome mm. party, yeah. like while even while they're old. Mm. Um, it's perfectly serviceable. 
Like it's, it's a, again, you <laughs> watch it, it. I know a, you watch it, and it's okay, and then you forget about it a week later. It's there, gone. There's some wonderful press because they got uh, uh, Michael Douglas, Robert De Niro, uh, Morgan Freeman, and Kevin Klein all in the room together yeah. for all of the press. That's amazing. They, they always did it the, the four of them together. I think yeah. that's a, a really I, fun way to promote the movie. I would be but, in a room uh, with those guys. That sounds like an awesome conversation. But they always said you have all four of these people in a room together. What do you? What's the first question you ask? What's the first thing you say to them? And uh, I was like trying to think. Oh, what do you? What do you say? You walk into a room with those four. What mm-hmm. do you say? And and I just sort of look at the group and say, "Wow, three film legends!" <laughs> just uh, just be a complete a complete dick about it, you know? Who's 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 leaving? I, I don't know. Just let them figure it out. <laughs> and you know, Kevin Klein's probably the one shrinking back the most, oh but God. I love Kevin Klein. He's amazing. He's yeah. an Oscar winner. He's amazing. <laughs> all those yeah, all those guys have won Oscars. That's a big. That's a big. That's a great cast. <laughs> It is a pleasantly forgettable movie. I, I suspect it's one of those movies where it's just like I get to make a movie with the rest of these guys. I don't care what it is. I'll just fucking do it. Like, I want to hang out with them in Las Vegas for a couple of months. Let's do it. Whatever. Uh, and then he did the Meg, uh, which is which is and again, it's an entertaining PG thirteen horror movie. I enjoyed watching it. Haven't thought about it since. Yeah. That's the John Turtle Taub way. The one movie of his that has really stuck with me though. In part because I saw it as a kid, but when I rewatched it earlier today, I was like, this is a very well-constructed family movie. Cool Runnings. Mm. So, again, uh, if you're young, you've never seen it, or you've somehow missed it, uh, Cool Runnings is a story about the first Jamaican bobsled team. And if you don't know why that's a funny sentence, mm. uh, it's because bobsledding is a Winter Olympics sport in which uh, a quartet, or actually there's also a two-person version of it, uh run a basically a large canoe sled down a chute mm. and then they jump into the sled and then they ride down this you know curvy slalom like a roller coaster at high speeds and they see who can do it the fastest without shattering every bone in their body uh it's a weird sport in some regards it's one of those ones where you're just like who was the first person to do that <laughs> and i would love to know but it's not about them it's about the first jamaicans to do that and there is no snow to speak of in Jamaica, so that was a weird choice. Mm. In reality, there was a Jamaican bobsled team, and they competed in the late 80s. Uh, and indeed, they competed multiple times throughout uh, uh, the Olympics history. And uh, they did okay. I don't think they've ever won a medal at the Olympics, although they have won awards at other bobsledding competitions. Mm. Uh, and uh, it was kind of novel and kind of neat. And so someone said, hey, let's make a movie about those guys. Problem is, their story is actually pretty straightforward. They, they decided went, to they make went a, to the Olympics. They yeah, did okay. Yeah, yeah. They, they decided to go up with the Jamaican bobsled team. Kind of a weird idea, but it was. they had a lot of support. They were able to get the funding necessary. They were welcomed with open arms because the Olympics isn't like, you know, the bad news bears where everyone's really shitty to each other all the time. It it is a super political organization, but uh, But the players are when they're they're working the way they ought to be. It's actually a very welcoming, open, diplomatic, international summit of great physical talent. Yeah, it's not not like the politicians are competing, although I would love to see that version of it, but it's a bunch of people who just really want to be great athletes, and they all have shared interests, and they all hang out together, and it's my understanding that there's a lot of loving going on, which I want to see that movie. Where's that movie? That's a great rom-com I want to see. The Olympic Love Hotel. Yeah, like you do, like, you know, like Valentine's Day, or New Year's Eve, or whatever, any of those, like, 12 romance stories going on simultaneously, mm. but you do it at the Olympics between Olympians. 
That's a good pitch. How has no one done that? Well, they, they did that with a movie called Wimbledon, which was about Wimbledon. Well, it was just two people, though. <laughs> JL. That's my point is, do the big ensemble. Oh, yeah, yeah. That could be really fun. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Okay, one, I get money if you one, do that, by the way. I'm calling this right now. This is I'm not giving this one out for free. If you do that, I get a story by credit. We're, 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 we're the German fencing team, and you know, Based, the, you know the rule, no sleeping with Russians. What? Why? Look, it's bad luck. <laughs> and then, of course, But those Russian fencers Russian. are so hot. Yeah. Damn it, Cleus Bang! <laughs> He's Danish. He's Danish, whatever. He can play Russian. He'd be great at it. <laughs> but um, but um, anyway, uh, but yeah, so they, they competed and it was really novel. But again, their journey to become mm. an Olympic bobsledding team was actually a little uneventful. And so, so as a result, so they came they, up with a fictionalized version. A fictionalized version. All of the characters in the movie uh, who... Uh, uh, were invented for the movie. Were invented yeah. for the movie. Everyone from the players to uh, uh, their coach, who was played by John Candy in... The last movie that was released before he died. Yeah, and watching this movie really made me miss John Candy. What yeah. an incredibly wonderful presence and really good actor. He had to do so many broad comedies that I think people forgot that he could be really genuine. Mm. So when he has those big like sports speeches, he's really good at it. And it's kind of sweet and nice. He plays a grizzled character that would be played like Hugh, by Hugh Jackman in a later mm-hmm. version of the... In fact, Hugh Jackman did play that role in, in, <laughs> in Eddie the Eagle. Eagle. Yes, yeah. it's the John Candy role. <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 seen some shit. He's yeah, really he's really disillusioned and with the whole all, process. They're all broad stereotypes. To love again. There, there's one guy who's trying to live up to his father's name. There's one guy mm-hmm. who's a little bit of a goofball. Uh, Played by the great Dougie Doug from mm-hmm. That Darn Cat. The, that the, that cinema classic. There was the remake a brief, of That Darn Cat. There was a brief moment when Dougie Doug was a relatively well known comedian mm-hmm. in the '90s. He's very likable, and frankly, I think he should have had a bigger career. He's a very likable guy. He should have at least had the career of someone like Chris Farley or David Spade. He at least deserved that much. He's a very fun presence. Okay. Uh, there's the handsome, charismatic leader, played by Leon. And then there's Yul Brenner. The, the, the character is named Yul Brenner. <laughs> and they, they, it's not a big thing. Yul Brenner, of course, was the actor who was in Westworld and Mag, uh, Magnificent Seven and The King and I. But there's this one point where he introduces himself as Yul Brenner, and then John so Candy, like... Ma- like uh, Yoba. Yeah, and uh, John Candy mouths him out, Yul Brenner? <laughs> but they never talk about it. Yeah. It's this weird joke that's just sort of sitting there mm. in the movie, and it never becomes a thing, and I kind of love those. Yeah, the the process is pretty straightforward. Uh, they're Olympic sprinters. They can't do that, so they decide... Yeah. They, uh, they all they all they, trip and fall during mm, the, uh, uh, the... Tryouts. Yeah. Tryouts. Uh, even though they were all in the lead, they all lose because they trip and fall, and so if they want to play the Olympics within the next four years, they got to come up with something they can do in the winter sports, and then it turns out that there is a former Olympic bobsledder who is living in Jamaica, who had a relationship with one of their dads, who was also an Olympic sprinter, who had an idea that what if we got sprinters to do bobsledding because a huge part of getting that bobsled up to speed is pushing a very heavy thing at a fast sprint on ice. Which is the same as sprinting, but whatever. Well, what uh, if you can teach it. Like, yeah. what is it? The point is that you get really fucking fast runners and, to and do it. You might have an advantage. They're underdogs. Nobody believes in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody pulls through at the last minute mm-hmm. uh, by selling their car and giving them enough money to go. They don't have a bobsled. They have a really crappy bobsled after that. Uh, you're, they have you're to fix up their through... crappy bobsled. I love how you're just completely, mm-hmm. like... And yeah, I understand. There's a formula to this. Yeah, but you're, that's, but by that's what I'm highlighting o- here. But by breezing over it, yeah. I think you're missing what makes this movie fun is that it has a distinct personality because the characters involved, uh, they are young, they are funny, they are likable, mm-hmm. they're actually from a very distinct 
country and culture that gives the movie a different feel than mm. a lot of the other sports movies, especially that we were getting at the time. It's, however, the same kind of bright sitcom version of that country. Absolutely. That's a kind of a fakey version of that country. Totally Disneyfied. Yeah. I 100% agree, but so better it, than it the other stuff Disney was doing at the time. I, I, comparatively, yes. Okay. Uh, you that's know, one of the reasons why it stood out. Yeah, a lot of people um, you know, gave Mulan credit. Oh, look, they're making a movie about China. Yeah, but you're not getting China right. Uh, are we going to complain about that? There's, there's stuff that that movie does yeah. do very, very well. I haven't seen the new one, but yeah. the original movie does do very, very well in yeah. terms of adapting a lot of the art styles and yeah. dealing with issues of the culture. There's also things that they smooth over because yeah. it's Disney and it's they're like making they gotta, it palatable for as many people as they think. Yeah, D- Disney, yeah, Disney's worst habit and the thing that has made them so successful is they've been able to adapt whatever material they get to their house style. Yeah, uh, This is why a director like John Turtle actually works well with Disney because he's mm. willing to work with the house style. But he will make it pretty well and mm. I think even though you're, you're going through all these emotions, oh, we gotta raise money which apparently they barely had to do uh, but, you know, he's able to let the cast, which is a very fun cast, the t- across the board, they're yeah, the, all the four. The four leads are all quite good. Uh, the five uh, leads, they'll include John, uh, Candy, John Candy in there Candy, because yeah. they're all really wonderful. They all have distinctive characters. You buy the animosity between some of them but you also buy that as they sort of evolve over time and grow to like each other, that it feels actually really natural and honest. And I even like that it's one of those movies where a lot of like movies about teams coming together, there's differences at the beginning, mm-hmm. then in the middle they work them out, and by the third act they figured them all out. Um, actually, like more conflict emerges amongst them throughout the film that we didn't know before. Like mm. uh, the, the the leader of the group played by Leon, he actually, when they get to the tryouts at Calgary, he starts actually losing sight of where he came from because he's trying to emulate all of these successful bobsledders that he's seeing. And he starts doing things like when you count down like one, two, mm. three, go. Like he starts counting in Swiss because he sees the Swiss team doing that and he idolizes them and they realize that this is actually alienating all of us and it's making us feel really uncomfortable because you're you're lo- we're representing working, our country yeah. here and you're losing sight of that in order to sort of mimic who you're seeing and that creates a rift in the team and that has to be helped over time and also in the second half they find out that the reason why John Candy ended up living in Jamaica and not like actually doing anything with his gold medal career is that he cheated and he was actually drummed out of the winter sports community as a disgrace. And that's so something I, that they have to deal with. Yeah. And that's and that comes in later on rather than early. And that actually keeps the movie a little bit more dramatic in the middle and even towards the end than I think mm. a lot of these sports movies do. Because oftentimes they get wrapped up pretty neatly and then there's the big game. Yeah. So that's something that is just... it's a, it, The writing, of course, they had to finagle what actually happened a lot in mm. order to get a movie out of it, but I actually think the writing is really strong. I think Formulaic, I, but strong. I, I think it's formulaic, and I think it's efficient. I think it works just fine, and this is a sweetly charming movie. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think it will ever be... Uh, more than the three stars it aimed for. It's a, it's You're arguing just, it's a four-star, three-star movie. No, I'm arguing it's just a three-star movie. Oh, uh, screw you. <laughs> this is at least a four-star, three. If you're unfamiliar and, uh, with that concept, not every movie's trying for four stars. So I'd argue that if, if you If you can do something not very ambitious perfectly, then uh, that is a four-star, three-star movie. Yeah, you can. it's not going to get any better than that, but mm-hmm. it is also kind of three stars. So it's yeah. kind of both simultaneously. And that's 
term I've been trying to popularize because I think it describes a lot of films. Yeah, yeah, and I think John Turtletop's made a couple of them, <laughs> like National Treasure. That's a four star, four three star, star movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's only ever gonna be an Indiana Jones knockoff, mm. but it's one of the best. Okay, kudos. Uh, sport movies. Uh, I and I, I'm. I don't want to sound like I'm dumping all over this movie. I actually enjoy this film. I just yeah. think it's it's kind of uh, largely unremarkable. I think mm-hmm. it does some things really, really well. I, I think, yeah, I think the four leads are all really, really great. I mm-hmm. think John Candy is good as sort of the, the grizzled coach. They, they could have skewed for a, a coach who was a little bit more, like, hardened by battle. Mm-hmm. But because they cast someone like John Candy is actually a lot more affable. I think that's good casting. I remember when this movie came out, there was actually talk about how John Candy was maybe going to start transitioning to slightly more serious roles mm. through this because, no, oh, you played the coach in like a sports movie. Yeah, there were some funny bits, but you actually played it straight yeah. the entire time and you were really good. And He's there was talk that he good might laugh actually... lines like, oh, 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 you, you don't break bone. Your bones don't break in a bobsled. They shatter. <laughs> He's really great in this, and I can see, like, sometimes I look at, like, some of the movies that came out after John Candy passed away, Mm. and I'm like, I can see John Candy in it. Like, I can imagine Goodwill Hunting, but it starred John Candy instead of Robin Williams. That would have been a good movie. I can see him him being really good in stuff like that. He was Mm. such a wonderful performer, and yeah, just his run was too short, and I feel like... It's weird. It's, It's interesting to me, because he made, like, a lot of really great movies, and I feel like the two... That really linger. Because mm. he made a lot of fun ones like Who is Harry Crumb or The Great Outdoors. Those are all very charming movies. But the two that people remember the most are mm. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is wonderful. Mm. Like, really great, unexpectedly emotional, very funny. Him and Steve Martin are comedy gold together. No comment. I, you're not a fan? <laughs> not a fan. I, it's, I, it's, I, it's, I love it. It's one of those movies that is it is an impeccable comic creation. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm too sensitive to the problems, though, mm. because rather than uh, sort of laughing at their plight, I just get more and more stressed out watching that movie. But I think that's... By the time I get to the end, I'm, I'm just in a blind panic, and I, I have no capacity to laugh at what's going on. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about yeah. that movie, though. It is both things But it's supposed to be a comedy, so no, it doesn't think, work for I me. Is, I think it is. <laughs> as a, I think it is a comedy. I don't think it is. I think yeah. it's a drama with comedic elements because when right. you look at the story from John Candy's perspective, it's incredibly sad. And I think the movie understands that and it gives them some really beautiful moments by it. I, I like that it's both things at once. Mm. I, sometimes I can view it one way, sometimes I can view it another depending on my mood. Mm. But um, the other film of his that seems to have really endured a lot is Cool Runnings. And I think it's because of a variety of reasons. There aren't a lot of great winter sports movies that aren't about hockey. Yeah. Well, so that's something. Well, there's also not a lot of movies about Jamaica. Also, which at is least nice, not in America. Yeah. But like, yeah. So that's that's novel. That's that's certainly something that is that connects uh, with a lot of people. Um, it is one of the better Disney movies, live action Disney movies of this era. Mm-hmm. And there's a fair number of classics there. So that is actually saying something like they, they what crank else, them out in like yeah. a studio system kind of way. But it yeah. came out around this time. Cause I, I also, I know the mighty ducks were also from around uh, that's, this time. That's a very beloved there's film. An, another well. sport movie called the big green was the sandlot a Disney film or was that a, a no, a touchstone it was, a, it, was it was a, might've been touchstone, but I don't think it was officially, a Disney film. Once I let's look at let me let me look it up. I'm gonna look at like the '90s. These are all movies I missed. By the way, yeah, I didn't see enough. any of these films. Okay, I'm just looking. At I, cool. I know that yeah. There's this like little sort okay. of blind spot. Well, I I was always kind of sour on Disney to begin with. Mm. Okay, uh, so but, the 1990s. I'm just gonna go through like right. the first few years of the 1990s. I'm going through live action stuff only. All right. All right. 1990. We had White Fang, which was pretty good. I saw White Fang. Yeah. Uh, Shipwrecked, which nobody talks about anymore. I remember liking as a kid, but I haven't seen mm. since. 
uh, Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken, which yeah. I don't think I saw. It's about Started a horse. Ga- Gabrielle yeah. Anwar and horse racing. Mm. Uh, the, then there was The Rocketeer, which is fucking awesome. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it, I remember loving I it. I recently yeah. rewatched it. It holds up really okay, good. Okay. It's really, really good. That, that's a relief to hear. I'd hate to think it yeah. sucks now. Uh, Newsies, which I was always quite kind of a fan of because I was kind of a musical theater kid. It's got great music, but that is a bloated production. Oh, it's way too long, <laughs> but it's actually really fun and I and I think it, it gets a bum rap. I'm glad that the Broadway musical was done so well and like people mm. kind of like it now because at the time it was considered kind of an embarrassment to Disney. Oh, it was um, one of those cult hits that became a mainstream hit. Yeah. Uh, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which is awful. <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kid is a classic. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid is no mm. pass. Uh, the Mighty Ducks, that's another perfectly good formulaic movie. All right. Like, it's fine. Uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol, fucking awesome. Love The Muppet Christmas Carol. Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, also pretty damn good. All right. Pretty damn good. A Far Off Place, which I don't remember. Um, I, I Reese Witherspoon was in that? I snuck into A Far Off Place because there was a Bugs Bunny cartoon at the head. Weird. And then I left <laughs> before the movie started. Uh, there was the, uh, the Adventures of Huck Finn, starring Elijah Wood and Courtney B. Vance, directed by Stephen Summers, who would go on to do oh, The Mummy, wow, which right. I remember seeing at the time, but I don't recall it since. Uh, Hocus Pocus... Mm. Uh, which you still haven't seen that one. I have haven't you? seen that one either. Uh, yeah. That's that's a fun one. Kind of weird. Kind of geeky. Kind of dark. D- deliberately skipped most of these. Uh, cool Runnings. Mm. Kind of a big deal. Seen it now. Yeah. Three Musketeers. It's not the worst version of that, but it's so nineties. Look, I will. Uh, I didn't see the movie, mm-hmm. but I still hate it. Yeah. Because of the song. You got Rod Stewart, Brian Adams, and Satan singing. <laughs> no, it's Sting. <laughs> Why are you anti-Sting? Of all three of those, <laughs> you're anti-Sting? No, st- no, they all suck. Okay. They're just... <laughs> and you got them all together, and you have this like gigantic suck quake of a, of a pop song. God, I hate that song. But Whitney... Makes me want to claw my face off. We're all for oh, one, one for love. I'm not sure which... It, it's... I'm not sure which one is worse. That Do you remember the song from Don Juan DeMarco? Oh, tell me if you really, 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 really ever loved a woman. Yeah, those are both that's really awful. No, that's the, yeah. those are both really, really bad. It's <laughs> the it's the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves song that gave us all of those, and the Robin yeah. Hood song is way too long, but good. Mm. Anyway, uh, then there was Iron Will, which I don't recall. Uh, Blank Check, which is talk about formula. They literally wrote a book about the formula. <laughs> uh, there was D2, The Mighty Ducks 2, White Fang 2, which I refuse to believe is a real film. Uh, so th- that's actually not a bad run. Like, there's actually quite a few well-remembered family movies in that chunk there. And I think Will Runnings is just, there's, there really wasn't another film like it. It was about something that people remembered at the time. Mm-hmm. They took a lot of liberties, but I think the liberties that they took, much like in Argo, they improve the story. Yeah. They might not improve the history because the history is the actual history, but... They made it into a, a, a better mm. screenplay. I was doing a little bit of research into what actually happened. And, of course, I didn't become an expert or anything. But uh, I found out there's actually a women's bobsledding team from Jamaica, which actually has, like, some of, like, the daughters or nieces of the people from the original team. Okay. And I'm like, how have you not done Cool Runnings 2? <laughs> that, that, they literally... That writes itself. Let's look up the, the. That's great. Let's look up the four actors and see if they also have daughters, and then cast them. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. I would love to see that. But I'm saying is that's actually like 
a good idea. Like that's for a, a cool good for too, a Disney yeah. Plus maybe movie. Like maybe that doesn't go theatrical, but you can spend some money on that and make it like a. I would I would watch that. Mm. That sounds fun. Do yeah. that, Disney. You're dropping the ball, man. You're constantly you know, doing all of these superhero movies, and you're forgetting to make the Disney movies. But, well, this is their brand now. It's, it's I know, the Mandalorian but I, now. But That's I, Disney. And I, and I miss when they would put a little more effort into trying to tell stories that weren't all franchises. Maybe yeah. some of them would become franchises if they were hits, but... What you just suggested, Cool Runnings 2, would turn it into... A franchise. I appreciate that, yeah. but it's not like this big monolith franchise. That's true. It would be like That's a true. legacy. It, it sequel, would be just yeah, be a sequel. It could be fun. Yeah, um, I, yeah like like but, I said, I'm I'm I sound very sour and I sound very negative just because mm-hmm. it's a for, formulaic, a little bit too, a little bit too sanitized, a little bit too f- candy colored for me. But um, John candy colored. John indeed. Uh, okay. But yeah, it, it is a, a perfectly decent movie. I did enjoy watching it. Yeah. Uh, I, I just feel like I've seen so much better sports movies oh, than something like this. We, we've all seen better, but yeah. again, when you're going for a family-friendly dynamic, I don't think there aren't. I don't think there are that many great sports movies that are good for the whole family. Like Rocky's mm-hmm. got more intensity; it's more mature storylines and everything. Like kids can appreciate it, but yeah. they won't really get it until they're an adult. And I think Cool Runnings Bad News Bears is really rough. It's <laughs> really raunchy, yeah. actually. So like, there's a reason that they're bad news, but like. Yeah, no, I think Cool Runnings, I was very pleasantly surprised to rewatch this because oftentimes you watch stuff you liked as a kid. And I hadn't revisited this since, like, again, probably at least 20, 25 years. I remembered it very fondly, but I hadn't actually sat down and watched the whole thing that whole time. Mm. It's very well constructed. The cast is very, very charming. It works. It really, really works. And I like it a lot. And yeah, it's a sports movie. And sports movies are often formulaic. That's why we go to them. Yeah. So saying it's formulaic that, doesn't really feel like much of a criticism no, it's, for it's me. More, it's just it's just descriptive. More, yeah, it is descriptive, and I think if you can tell the formula but bring a, a just enough charm and wit to it to stand apart, then you're doing a good job. And yeah. I feel like uh, Cool Runnings doesn't ever do any more than is asked of it. Mm. Which you know that that doesn't necessarily make it a bad film, but it doesn't make it extraordinary. It, what it, what was asked of it was that it be entertaining mm. and inspirational, and those are good things to yeah. be. So I'm I not would, gonna. I'm not. If, I don't think it's there's any meaningful yeah. criticism other than it, it's been done better. But yeah. it's also been done a heck of a lot worse, and it hasn't so. been done better all that often. So this is still, I think. A really would, good pick on Disney Plus. I, I would love to hear if we have any listeners in Jamaica. Yeah, I would love to hear how this film is viewed in Jamaica because yeah. this is clearly an American view of Jamaica. This yes. is an outsider's view of Jamaica, and I'm not yeah. sure if uh, Jamaicans would uh, enjoy being represented in a big American production, mm-hmm. or if it's kind of an embarrassment that you know John Turtletop got a lot of stuff I, wrong. I, I, I've heard Jamaican locality. I've heard people and like, you know, the, the winter sports community uh, were fans of the movie because it portrayed there. There's a little bit more like the East German teams are jerks to the Jamaican teams, but they're the first ones to start the slow clap at the mm. end kind of thing. Uh, that, that wasn't a thing. <laughs> Everyone was cool, but, or so we're told, but uh, other than that, apparently everyone like, Hey, this portrayed winter sports actually really positively and inspirationally. Well, I, and they I don't get a lot of play in like the movie. So I always that appreciate, helps. I always appreciate yeah. when uh, the Olympics are portrayed at all in any movies. Cause I love yeah. the Olympics like that. That's, that's my jam. See, I, I don't, 
I'm yeah. kind of listen. I respect Olympians yeah. like like nobody's business. Of course, they're all achieving personal greatness and good for them. But I've I've never really followed sports too intensely, so I never really get super invested in it mm. unless I'm watching a movie. Because when I'm watching a movie, I know what the individual events mean to the individuals playing them. Mm. So. In the Olympics, just because like, and they're representing America. Cool. I don't know them. Do they? <laughs> are they trying to earn their father's love? Because then I'm going to be really invested in this. <laughs> you are such a screenwriter. I am, but like, <laughs> I, I mean, it. like, I, if I have a personal investment in who's playing, uh-huh. then I really, really care, and I really love sports movies as a genre because I think they're a really wonderful engine for drama. You've got actual conflict that's just built into the story you don't have to engineer it you just eventually you're gonna play a baseball game or you're gonna box like that is part and parcel of the narrative and so all you got to do is motivate someone to get in that ring or step onto that diamond or Mm -hmm. whatever and as long as you can do that well you have a lot of leeway yeah like i will watch i will happily watch a mediocre sports movie over a mediocre most other movies in genres and have mm. a good time because they're efficient and strong. It's like a good dance movie or a good slasher. Like, as long as you're hitting the basic beats, mm. it's ha- kind of hard to fuck it up in some ways. And so, Cool Runnings, I think, I would actually argue that it is at the very least a four-star, three-star movie, but I, right. I would go further. I would think this is... A three-and-a-half-star movie? At least a three-and-a-half-star movie, and I think maybe leaning towards four-star just for standing the test of time. Yeah. Because this movie doesn't really feel like... It, it was already a period piece when it came out, but only by, like, five, seven years or something. Yeah. The the, the, the bobsledding team was in the 1988 Olympics. Yeah. And this and came out like seven years later. Yeah. So, okay. So like five, five years, years later. later. Yeah. So like kind of in the past, they didn't have to feel contemporary. And I think that leaves the film feeling a little universal. And it doesn't really feel like it's full of nineties isms that mm. really dated in any way. It, it, it ages really well. Uh-huh. So I think over time and showing that just how well it still functions, I'm not entirely sure I wouldn't give this four stars. Like, I think this is actually, like, one of the Disney classics of the 90s. Okay. Um, at least in terms of live action. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it a lot. And I think you can learn a lot from watching this movie and studying the construction of the screenplay. Um, yeah. It's mm-hmm. rock solid. I was very pleasantly surprised to see how well it held up. Okay. All right, moving on. Uh, that is it for Critically <laughs> Acclaimed this week. Next week we'll be back with reviews of... Some new movies, which I haven't looked up yet, but we'll also oh, be there's reviewing... A, there's a Tesla film. Oh, is that finally coming that's, out? That's coming out next week. Oh, that's week. cool. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Okay. Uh, and then uh, on the Streaming Club poll, we have a poll every single week on our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we have a ton of exclusive content, podcasts dedicated to the Oscars, podcasts dedicated to Star Trek. We're actually holding a poll right now to decide what other television series we're going to do a podcast about exclusively on Patreon. Mm. Uh, it's not too late to vote for that. We're going to have a couple of polls to whittle down a large field of choices um but also every week you can pick the film that we watch on the streaming club mm. and uh this week we were doing 1970s movies that are available on amazon prime and the winner was the stepford wives which i have actually never seen okay this is a film i've seen numerous times so okay. yeah. well that's bully for you uh, <laughs> i have not and cool runnings is the exact opposite yeah, I, so it's fair yeah, Turnabout I, is very explained. i chose uh, for for that poll i chose the movie joe Mm. The, the John Avildsen movie, and uh, I also chose Little Big Man, mm. like Dustin Hoffman, two movies I've never seen before, both from 1970. Yeah. Those were left far in the dust. <laughs> yeah. Because you choose, chose, like, 
more exciting genre I chose, movies. I chose yeah. Phase Four, which is the only movie ever directed by Saul Bass, who did the uh, graphic designer, graphic designer who com- who created the title sequences for films like Psycho and West Side Story, and it's the only film he ever directed, and it's about super intelligent ants. He also uh, designed the Der Wienerstetzel logo. Mm-hmm. He designed the post office logo. Yep. American Airlines logo. Yeah. Like a lot of the logos you he's, see, he's those a, are all Saul Bass logos. Really, yeah. He's an unappreciated artist in the 20th century. Just one of the most influential artists of the 20th century. Yeah. And people don't yeah, talk yeah, about the him girl, enough. Girl Scout logo. That was a Saul Bass. Yeah. Saul Bass is yeah. incredible. I've, I've never seen the movie all the way through. I would have been excited to do it. But instead, people... And it wasn't... You know, it was between those two. But mm-hmm. it was uh, ended up being the Stepford Wives. A uh, movie I'm familiar with be through cultural osmosis. Mm-hmm. I know what happens in it, but I've never actually yeah. watched it play out. And it's another William Goldman screenplay. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I, of course, we did uh, Marathon Man recently, and now mm-hmm. I get to watch this other one I've never seen. So that's exciting. Um, and maybe you can tell us about some of the less talked about sequels like The Stepford Husbands and The Stepford Children. Uh, and whatever happened to Rosemary's Stepford Wives. That's also a thing. Um, that's right. There was a TV movie sequel to Rosemary's Baby called Whatever Happened to Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. And there were, yeah, there were two straight to, uh, straight to TV Stepford Wives sequels, and there was a remake, which is abysmal. Mm, so I've heard. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen any of them, so this will be, be a treat. So that's coming up next time on Critically Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Especially thank you to all of our patrons who help us keep going. We're incredibly grateful to you, and we couldn't do this without you. So thank you very, very much. If you want to write in to us, uh, the email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, feel free to talk about anything we talked about on this show or anything else you might want to talk about in terms of uh, film, film history, the entertainment industry, or anything else. It doesn't have to be related to that. Uh, we're, we're pretty open. So uh, we read those emails on our podcast. We've got mail right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network podcast feed. Uh, and uh, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And I think that's it. So well, can, I, can I push my uh, my radio drama? Do it again. All right. Uh, and, and if you're a patron at the $20 level, you get it already. Uh, it's one of your perks. But I uh, recently put together a brand new 38-minute long audio drama with full cast, music, sound effects, the whole schmear. I wrote it. I directed it. Uh, some of my friends starred in it. One of my friends produced it. And we are... Offering it to you, uh, if you want to contact me on the social media, find me on the Instagram or the Twitters, just send me a direct message, we can arrange something, uh, I can mail, email you an MP3 and you can pay via PayPal if you want to. Or Venmo. Uh, or Venmo. Uh, it's, yeah, it's ten, I'm asking for $10 a pop, if you don't have that much money, we can negotiate something, but I'm mm. selling it to you. I think you might enjoy it. Uh, and again, if you join in the Patreon at the $20 uh, level, mm. you will get that and all of Whitney's other radio dramas at no additional cost. You also get exclusive commentary tracks, access to all of our other exclusive content, and uh, also you have the ability to sponsor an episode of your Critically Acclaimed, in which we'll do a podcast about pretty much anything you want. And we have more episodes of that coming up in the near future as well. So thank you everybody again for listening. We'll see you next time. And never forget, everyone's a critic. I'm sorry, what?